Hello, everybody. Bradley here, and welcome back into After Film, a casual film discussion podcast. On the docket today is 2012's The Hunger Games. We got our first Jennifer Lawrence movie. How excited is that? Rachel is back on the pod to help me dissect it, deep dive it, break it down, talk about it. We talked about this film for longer than the film actually is true to form for this podcast. So we talked for about two and a half hours. For those of you who might want to kind of split this up over two podcast listenings, the first hour to hour and 15 minutes is us at our most calm, our most analytical, our most kind of true to form in, in, in analyzing the film. After that, we spent about an hour to an hour and a half, just a little more loosey-goosey, a little more off the cuff. We just kind of let our brains take us to some weird places about the film, and we have such a good time. So as you listen to this podcast, things get a little more crazy and a little more, I don't want to say fun or exciting as if the first hour isn't that, but there's definitely a turn somewhere in there that you will be able to notice. I'm going to blame it on the wine. Anyways, if you enjoy this podcast, all your emails can go to afterfilmpod at gmail.com. Talk about any movies you want us to cover. Talk about your thoughts on The Hunger Games. Talk about your thoughts on anything else that we've covered, anything you've seen recently. I don't know. As long as it's film related, chuck it in there. Please also rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening to it to get us kind of, you know, boosted up in the search algorithms or however it works. Since this podcast, though, is more than two and a half hours, I think we should dive right on in. I hope you enjoy. All right, Rachel, we are here today to talk about The Hunger Games, released in 2012. It was adapted from the novel called The Hunger Games, I believe by Suzanne Collins, but I didn't write that down. I think that's correct. This movie was directed by Gary Ross. I have no idea who that is. But according to IMDb, he directed this movie. It came out on March 23rd, 2012, which just made both of us feel really old five minutes ago. It runs for two hours and 22 minutes, and it made $700 million from an $80 million budget. So in that sense, this is a very successful movie. We're going to start where we always do with our relationship to the movie and the book, in this case, to give people some context. So, Rachel, first question. What is your relationship to The Hunger Games, both this movie and the, the novel? Okay, so I'll start with the novel, because I guess chronologically that makes more sense. Um, but I read these books when I was in high school. Like, basically, it was like my entire high school journey, because the first one was out when I was young. And I remember the Mockingjay didn't come out until the summer I graduated high school. So I tore through these books uh, anytime I can get my hand on one. And uh, I just remember loving it because I think Katniss was different than a lot of the protagonists that I was reading about when I was in high school. Because Katniss didn't want to be a hero. She didn't want to be the figurehead of a movement. She just wanted to live a life. And it made her a lot more relatable, and so I became a lot more invested. And then when they made them into movies, I had always been like big into fantasy and sci-fi growing up, and that first Hunger Game movie was really like the film industry's like first big jump into YA dystopia sci-fi. And so it was such a big moment for me to see like these books that I love finally get their due on the big screen with the exception of the Aragon movie, which permanently damaged my heart. That was terrible. If you two, you must've had before hunger games, you would have had Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You're way more into Lord of the Rings than I am. Um, yes. But for you, this wouldn't, <laughs> so like hunger games, like that's even more impressive that you felt good about the movies, considering you would have already mm -hmm. had experience with at least good adaptations 
of things that you love with Harry Potter yeah. and Lord of the Rings, which I think Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. is more successful, but is both both acclaimed as good adaptations both. of the source material. Absolutely cornerstones of the genre. But as like as a young teen, um, this would have felt like the first movie, I guess, apart from Twilight. This series would have been the first one where it felt like it was made for me as a demographic. Right, fair enough. And, and I mentioned Twilight because, like, obviously that demographic is young teen girls, which I was, and so I was in that demographic. But the Hunger Games, uh, it's just slightly different because it's just not, it's not romance, although it does have romance because it's a young adult. Um, but it's a bit more dark about it, and that was the first time we'd seen. I think that kind of dystopian YA get pushed right into film. So it was really cool. Perfect. My experience with the Hunger Games is interesting because I recently had a re-experience with it that a lot of people mm -hmm. listen to this like second episode of the podcast and out of all of the films on planet Earth, you chose the <laughs> Hunger Games to cover for multiple hours. You couldn't have found a better movie. Um, mm -hmm. So when I was four, this book came out when I was 13, but I wasn't aware of it till the summer that I turned 14. So about a year after it came out, someone that I work with uh, at the time was just reading it. And I, I've just always read a ton of books. And so that was just someone else was reading it. They really liked it. I, I speed through books pretty quick. And so I often have time in my schedule to incorporate people's recommendations pretty easily. I don't have to, I don't have to worry like, oh, if I read the book you want me to, I'm not going to get to the ones that I want. So I just kind of slid the Hunger Games in and I read it and I really loved it. Uh, I've only read it the one time though. And so I was 14 when I read it, which would have been Fuck, 13 years ago? Oh, man. <laughs> so I read this book 13 years ago. So it's been a while, and I haven't really revisited it since. Um, but I just remember loving the book. The Hunger Games was great. I had a good time. Um, I don't know if I was as kind of surprised or even aware of the, the kind of groundbreaking nature of it at the time. You're definitely right in retrospect now that I'm just older and have read a lot more books, um, that the Hunger Games definitely started a trend instead of kind of being mm -hmm. just part of a bigger one which was interesting and so i always liked the hunger games books um i think all the books are quite good the third one being the worst of the three but but yeah but way closer to the other two than the movies where the third movies are actually terrible but that's a separate <laughs> thing um and so yeah so that's my experience with the hunger games i really enjoyed both the book and the movie but i haven't revisited them since 2009 and 2012. Mm. Uh, cue the YouTube algorithm that, you know, is pulling content <laughs> that I like, and I like just hearing what other people think of movies. And so someone on YouTube had done a really good video essay on why The Hunger Games was so popular, both critically and with audiences, in both the novel and the movie, where other things failed, right? And so I found that mm. was interesting as a topic. So I clicked on the video, and as I was watching this video, I just hit with all this Hunger Games nostalgia. I was like, yeah, I remember really liking these. And this person is kind of going through and explaining why, as a 14-year-old, I really liked this and why it was so acclaimed and, and why the other um, properties like Divergent, the ones that spawned after it, were successful yeah. monetarily, but not successful in their quality, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I was like, shit, yeah. I got I to gotta take a look um, at the Hunger Games again. So I went to work. And now this is a tangent, but it's all inspired. It's like <laughs> what inspired me to record this podcast? Uh, so I went to work. And I, uh, for those of you who are listening who don't know, I uh, manage and coordinate the youth programming at an outdoor school type of thing. And part of that is me and some people that I work with have curated a library for the kids. This really helps. Um, we get a lot of kids who are underprivileged or 
um, have learning disabilities or those types of things and are below their reading level and are kind of embarrassed. And so we make sure we have a, a good selection of books um, that any kid can come and read. And some kids just need it. Like they can't be in loud, noisy, active environments all the time. They just need reading breaks and stuff. And so we've done our best to curate a small library so they're not overwhelmed by choice, but a very well um, organized one. So they have a lot of different things to pick from. So we got all the raw doll stuff. We got all the like what the magic treehouse ones that I loved as a kid mm -hmm. are all there. Um, but we have like Harry Potter, more modern stuff. Lord of the Rings is in there if you want more fantasy stuff. So um, I went and the Hunger Games was not there. And so I just watched this brilliant video essay on how good this book was. And I remember it being super good. And so I was like, I got to add the Hunger Games to this list. So then I went to the store and I bought the Hunger Games. And I'm like, well, fuck, if I'm paying money to buy these books again for me not to read, I at least want to watch the movie and talk about it on yeah. a podcast and so here we are <laughs> that is my relationship with the hunger games rachel i want to start today yeah. with the critical acclaim of this movie because mm -hmm. i remembered nothing of it other than i enjoyed it um, and i knew mm -hmm. it was acclaimed because this video had kind of said that people liked them so i went to rotten tomatoes and mm -hmm. it comes up now the rotten tomatoes is the end all be all but it's it's the most fun <laughs> Um, it is certified <laughs> fresh on Rotten Tomatoes at 84%, mm -hmm. which is very, very high. That's a difficult bar to meet for a lot of really good movies. Don't meet that. And the audience mm -hmm. score is 81%. So everyone loved this movie. Why do you think people loved this movie? And most people will not have read the book. So this is like 90% of the people didn't even read the book. So they just came into the theater, they sat down, and they really liked this movie. Why? Okay, well, so I think... We can't discount the book readers. I think there were a decent amount of people that found out it was going to be made into a movie and went out and read the books. Not, so not enough all, to make $700 million. Not, not $700 million worth of people. But I think, first of all, it's a very faithful adaptation of the book. So the, your core audience that you already have, ecstatic with what ends up on the screen. Uh, with your new audience, I think this is where we see the fruits of the labor that it takes to make a really, really good adaptation. The world is rich. The characters are nuanced. The conflict is simple, but still has high stakes. So you're thrust into a world that you don't know, but you very quickly become familiar with. You endear yourselves yourself to these characters, or rather, vice versa. And then they get put through the ringer. And you go through it with them. And I think... And I mentioned it a bit earlier. Katniss is a more relatable protagonist. Then, like, even let, let, if we go back to Divergent. Fuck. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even remember that character's name. She's um, so unrelatable. No, I don't but remember like, either. What's what's the actress? It's Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley. She, yeah. she did great with what she had, but her character is not relatable. She's one of those, I'm special and I will save the world because I'm special kind of girls. Katniss, she has skills that she got because of like the nature of her upbringing. But in terms of what she is as a human, she's just a person. She's a person brought up in a world that was unforgiving. And that has produced her personality and some of her traits. 
but she's not more than human. She doesn't have superpowers. There's nothing in particular that's special about her, but she gets put into this really high stakes situation with um, motivations that we can all really relate to. So I think for new audiences coming in, the movie, it, it captures you, it gets you invested, and then it hits a very, very fun balance of lighthearted and then serious and then lighthearted and then serious, and it keeps you invested until the end. So I'm really not surprised that uh, at least the first movie holds up as well as, well as it does. And just, I'm assuming that you also really loved this movie, but can you just clarify that you also really love this movie? Just oh, so I adore, I adore this movie. But I, I realized as movie. you were talking, like, should I ask her why she thinks everyone else liked it? But I do need to know how she feels no, about I, it. I, I rewatch this movie at least once a year. Okay, I, so I you're, you're really also, you're with the, you're with the scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. That it's. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the 81% on Rotten Tomatoes is exactly where I'm at. I had a really great time last night revisiting this. Uh, for uh, just full clarification for the audience, I had uh, five pints of beer before I watched it last night. <laughs> so my notes are a bit of a mess. So I, I wasn't like perfectly sober, but I had a great time. I do have a few nits that I want to pick. I think that's part of kind of doing the the podcast is I was very, very complimentary of Titanic. Didn't have a bad thing to say. Um, I also am recording Knives Out soon and took those notes and I had not a bad thing to say in that one either. And so I do have a few things in this movie that I think watching it as an adult, I can kind of see some of the the seams in the in the production of it. And I and I and I have a few things that I think took me out of it a little bit. But overall, this movie is very well done. I, I think the thing I took most away from it is it's just, a, it's a master class. I'm going to give people like a Venn diagram here of a couple of different experiences I've recently had. Um, I felt The Hunger Games was a master class in just taking a concept, a con, like a cool concept, right, in a dystopian world. Like the idea of The Hunger Games, I'm not pro- usually like oh i want a lot of child murder in my stories that's not usually where my brain goes but once yeah. you just tell me a story about a dystopian world where the government sacrifices 23 children every year to like show it to the civilian like that's such an interesting concept and both the mm -hmm. novel but in this case the movie absolutely take that concept and just nail the execution of that concept like you said it's very simple they don't stray from it anything they're trying to tell you thematically or any messages they're trying to get across or, or, or across are all structured within that concept with, which makes it really easy to watch and easy to respond to i think the performances in the movie are great although i was actually surprised how much i didn't love jennifer lawrence's performance We'll get to that yeah. later. Um, she's just, I just know her now as this Oscar winning actress who's amazing in everything she's in. So I was expecting mm -hmm. to get, um, before this, she did Winter's Bone, I think it's called, and I'd watch that. And that she's yeah. fantastic in that. And I think this mm -hmm. is actually, well, this is the movie that kind of propelled her into the spotlight. I don't think she really, she plays a good Katniss, but I don't think she really shines. I think despite that though, um, the performances are good. I think all of the the secondary characters really level up this movie. Um, if anything, this is the rare film where I think the main cast could have been a little better, but I couldn't have imagined the performances of the secondary characters being any better at all. Um, no. But with regard to the kind of executing a concept, um, the reason why I really enjoyed that is I, I've just recently had some experiences where the concepts weren't executed as well as I'm hoping 
I recently read a book called The Midnight Library, which according to the sticker on the book, more than 2 million people have read. So I'm assuming someone listening to this has read that book. <laughs> and that concept is so cool, right? And the execution of it just really let me down. And the book was well written too. Like it's a good book with a <laughs> cool concept, but the execution on the concept really let me down. And so I think um, coming off of that into The Hunger Games, which just executed the cool concept, really leveled up this movie for me and allowed me to appreciate it yeah no i i think and i can get a bit more into it later but this movie is like a master class in how to adapt a text into a movie i think um i think it also has a pretty easy job to do right like the book and the movie there's almost two acts to it there's the pre-games and the hunger games and because there's because it's such a I don't want to say it's a simple story. There's a lot of nuance to the story, but it's a very simple concept you have to execute. The first half of the movie and the first bit of the book, you need to understand how shitty this world is, how how terrifying and, but also amazing. These games are a production. There's production crews. Mm-hmm. There's people are going, there's red carpet events. There's like, this is a real thing for this culture, right? And so you yeah. have to get all of the the suspense and the dread and the, hysteria and all the shining lights and fire outfits and all that stuff right and you need to really build up to the games and then the games just need to feel like a bloodbath like they are the hunger games and you're just in there and you're having that bloodbath and i think because you're not trying to do anything other than that if you can execute on those two things this is a success you're allowed a lot more adaptive freedom because you have such a clear vision you can kind of make these adaptive choices without having to sacrifice these big character moments. Whereas a lot of the problem I'll say with the Harry Potter adaptation is I think they made choices to sacrifice the characters in a lot of uh, their adaptive choices. Whereas this, that's a lot easier to avoid because the structure of what's happening leads you to so many different storytelling options within that, that I think it's an easier adaptation than most things. I'm nodding very, very agreeably, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you because I think okay. this, I think this book had, it could have been really fucked up. They could have really dropped the ball on this one because this story is told from a first person perspective. Katniss is telling us this story. A lot of the secondary, tertiary scenes we get in the movie are not actually. They're not in the book. They're things that Katniss either comes to understand later or tells to the reader while she's thinking about it in her own kind of personal narrative. Like, for example, Tracker Jackers. Uh, She knows what they are. She's seen them before. She just thinks, oh, shit, that's a Tracker Jacker nest. I should leave that alone. If they sting me, I'll hallucinate. Um... Whereas in the movie, you can't have her look at a bee's nest and then just say out loud while she's in a tree, oh shit, I'm gonna hallucinate if those things... No, she can't do that. So they found a different way, and I'll talk about this a bit more later, but like they use Caesar Flickerman in a lot of those instances to like tell those stories. And then they add different scenes to give the world a bit more dimension. And I think they had the benefit of a second book to get a bit more of the world building and know where they wanted to go with it. But I've seen a lot of these like YA novels or even fantasy novels, because I'll mention Aragon again, that was so disappointing. They just have this text and a story laid out for them and they just fumble it 
and they can't translate the way that story is told to uh, film. But I think this one does a really, really good job. And it actually expands on the knowledge that you get from the book in a way that doesn't feel like they've totally deviated from the source material. I have a, I have a follow-up question for you. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the length of this movie? I have a very clear two hours and 22 minutes. It's right in that sweet spot where it's mm. longer than your average movie, but nowhere near the max capacity. There's a lot of... Now, I know a lot of studios and people don't want three-hour movies, but mm-hmm. three hours and 15 minutes is kind of your max capacity. You can't really make yeah. a movie longer than that. And so there is about 50 minutes in there before you actually have to tap out and say, this movie cannot be any longer. What did you make of the length of this movie and what they chose to include in that length? I think I, I think they pretty much hit the sweet spot. Because like you said, there are two defined acts in this story. There's pregame and in the game. And it's kind of going for a night out. There's pre-drinking and then there's clubbing. Right. Yeah, this yeah. Movie, this movie even skips the end, really. Like the end of this book mm. is almost the start of the second one when they're in their winner's mm. houses and stuff. And so it's like, yeah. yeah, you don't even have to go through the the walk of shame home in the morning or no. like the you just hop on the train. <laughs> the, walk of shame. the train of shame. The train of shame. You don't even have to do that. <laughs> like it really is two acts. There's you pre-game, hype yeah. up, in-game slugfest. But both of those acts are very important to the story overall. I think if they had just intended to make one movie, I think you could have cut the pregame by half. But because they want to make a series out of it, it is a series. There's more story to be told. You need to know more about the world. Um, and especially the capital. You don't start to really... Res- I'm like tapping my finger on the table. Oh, you're all going to make so your point. Yeah, <laughs> but if you don't resent the capital by the time the game starts, the second half of the movie doesn't have the same impact. So they need to immerse you into like this pompous, extravagant, over-the-top society and make you hate them. And they need the time to do that, and they take their time, and I think that's really effective. Um, I don't know, I... I'm trying to think what I would have cut or what I would have made longer, but I can't really think. I I don't know that I would change it. The only reason I ask is because I there's a lot of people that are just like morally against a three hour movie. They're just like I there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people in like film Twitter and stuff would be like more like Super Mario got announced as a 91 minute movie. And everyone was like more 90 minute movies. And I was (laughs) 90 minutes is where I tap out on Chris Pratt as Mario. So I'm I'm happy it's 90 minutes. I'm more likely to watch it now and enjoy it than if it had been three Mm -hmm. hours. Right. However, Mm -hmm. I am not at all, I know studios don't want to do it and theaters don't want to do it often because you can't fit as many screenings in, especially for a movie like The Hunger Games where you want a lot of people to go and you want to Mm -hmm. fill the theaters. I felt that I I wouldn't cut a thing. I don't think there's anything in this movie I would cut. I I think that they were very, very clever in what they chose to include and every emotional beat they needed me to feel, they got me there. But there are Mm -hmm. some parts where I'm like, man, so this is two hours, 22 minutes. I think if this was two hours and 35 minutes, you wouldn't even notice as an audience member Mm. the difference. And there was just a few things that I would have really loved to see just a little more of. I'm trying to have the viewer of someone who knows nothing about this world. And so you're in this movie 
And okay. what you end up knowing before the games is the capital is fucked. The capital is insanely <laughs> like they are. I don't even it's part of the questions later that I want to have answered, but it's like it's above and beyond crazy how indulgent and, you know, what's the word mm -hmm. I'm looking for? Indulgent and just, I guess, terrible, ignorant, whatever word you want to use. These people are these people Nefarious. suck. Everyone, everyone in the capital <laughs> sucks. Right. So you really get yeah. that. You get that moment with Donald Sutherland as President Snow. It's only one moment. Um, but through that and the oh, little video, but you hate him. But you hate him. It's like it's all you needed from him. You get me there with President Snow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This Elizabeth Banks character is a great middle ground. I don't can't remember what her name is, but Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, she's fantastic because she is rooting for and like the representative for District 12. So isn't as pompous and terrible as everyone else. But certainly, like, that's mahogany. Does not understand, like, how... No. She does not understand how fucked up what's happening is. She's completely oblivious mm -hmm. to it, right? So she's a good middle mm -hmm. character. So they really nail that. You understand how terrible District 12 is, right? But I would have loved a minute in some of the other districts. Like, we get a little bit of District 11. Like, just show me, mm -hmm. show me something in between. What's District 5? I just need, like, a middle area. District 12 is terrible. The capital is fucked up. But what's in between that? Is there like a middle class? Just like, I just think I needed a little more. Yeah. It was the same with the, the training. I needed mm. two more minutes in the training. Like show me someone doing mm. something truly fucking cool. Because what I get is Katniss shooting a couple arrows, Peta chucking a boulder at some sticks, which we'll talk about. <laughs> but all of the other, like we get these, we get told these people are careers. They have trained their whole life for the Hunger Games. Show me them in training being badass. You know what I mean? Like, give me mm. another minute or two there to really understand how, mm. just how, what the, because I go into the Hunger Games thinking there isn't actually that much of a difference between Katniss's skills because she gets the highest points on the thing. So, like, mm -hmm. they've made a big point in telling me that these career people, there is a skill disparity between the people mm -hmm. from the lower districts and the people from the more privileged districts, but you never get to see it. And so there's just a few moments like that where I'm like, I think of this movie was two hours, 35 minutes. They did such a good job fleshing out the world and the time they had. I have full confidence that if you gave them an extra 10 or 15 minutes, they could have pinpointed yeah. four or five areas where just another minute would have really livened up the world. I would have made this movie longer. Mm. I'm, and maybe I'm just, maybe I just like longer movies and everyone out there is like, this movie was already too long, <laughs> right? But yeah, I don't think there's anything yeah. I would cut. And I don't think anything, I don't think there's nothing, anything I would redo either. No. But I think there are these little points where you could have really put me in there for another minute yeah. to make me, to really show me something instead of telling me it. Or it's the same, yeah. I had the same feeling when in District 12, they played the little video. Like the capital yeah. has gone through this video production. In this mm -hmm. case, to tell the audience why the Hunger Games exist. Right? But it's, 20 seconds right and mm -hmm. i'm like oh man i i get the feeling from the capital that that video would be an hour long and it would be agonizing and they would make they would like repeat it a thousand you know what mm -hmm. i mean i don't get the video i don't get the idea from the capital in that they would make a, a 20 second like oh here's why the hunger games exist video just a reminder you're all slaves to the capital <laughs> right I, I feel like they really make you sit in that i don't know like when you see the production value later of everything I'm like, oh, they yeah. wouldn't make this student film about the, I don't know. So there's a few yeah. moments like that where if you add 30 seconds there or a minute there, I think it would have really, I think they did a great job. I think they could have mm -hmm. done a fantastic job 
with a little more time. Yeah, I think I I probably agree with you. The problem is I I've never seen the movie without also having the background knowledge of the books. So I never felt like I didn't have enough information. Yeah, I'm really trying to take I agree because I also read the book before watching the movie. I just tried to view yeah. it from the perspective of someone who who has never been in the book world which i'm sure i can google yeah. the stats with these types of things it's usually 10 percent or less people like with the last of mm. us they did like nielsen surveys about it or something mm. and it ended up that about about less than 10 percent had actually played the game fully and there's a uh -huh. whole there's a whole percentage of people that haven't played the game but are aware yeah. of the plot points because their friends told them about it or something and so yeah. game of thrones was even less because those books are really long and people don't it's read so long. And so it's like i, think it's I less used than, one as my like monitor stand yeah it was like the less than three percent it's a dragons <laughs> so i'm assuming it's somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of the people who watch these films did not read yeah. the books and i'm just wondering if they really it was the same kind of in the game i, I promise i'm gonna talk about things i really loved about this movie soon <laughs> but it was the same in the games i felt like they they kind of found this middle ground where it's like like because they were going for this, I guess, 14A or PG-13 rating, right? I mean, the death sequences are really bland. They're not, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is meant to be career killers killing other children, right? And I don't know if I got, I understood it. And I knew what I was watching was bad because it's just intrinsically bad. I don't like watching children in this mm. system kill other children in this system, right? But the death scenes, I didn't find them like, specifically horrific in any way like i just oh i fully disagree really i was feeling oh these, yeah. are, these are pretty tame for a, a movie you, called the hunger games this like you that first when the the first 12 um tributes die yeah one it, got his like neck slit open one was stabbed repeatedly one was disemboweled like one had his head bashed and like they don't show the actual dead bodies or like the mechanism of the injury after it's happened you see the blood splatters you understand i think that part was especially considering they wanted a pg-13 14a rating i think but i guess what i'm brushing up against i don't disagree i'm brushing up against is i could tell they wanted the rating so they had to mm. pull back i think that's maybe what i'm brushing up against it's not that i okay. i don't i don't i don't think they should have changed it for what they were going for I think mm -hmm. if you get this movie a higher rating, you don't make $700 million. I just felt yeah. like with the death sequences, I could tell that they were going for a rating and adjusted mm. everything accordingly instead of... I don't know if that's making sense. I feel like I, no, I no, noticed no. that. It makes sense. Like, you make your decisions based on the rating, and then you kind of film the Instead rest of, the of movie. making the movie, and then it... Yeah, I, I get what you have to rating, do that, yeah. but I feel like I could tell in The Hunger Games. I, I get it, but counter-argument. I think so much of the storytelling is done from Katniss's point of view that some of that perspective, like that shaky cam in the initial fight... Shaky cam running through the forest. There the is a literal use, the shaky cam. A literal use of shaky cam. The, the shaky cam, it felt like some, it worked for me, but it felt like someone went to yeah. film school and just was told in an action movie, use the shaky cam. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were just like, the director was like, we got the shaky cam. We got it for two days. We're going to film this entire thing yeah. on the shaky cam. It was it almost yeah. felt like, it almost felt like they had planned to record it on normal cameras with like cranes and dollies. 
And then like someone yeah. showed up with this new tech, a uh, handheld, <laughs> handheld shaky cam. And they're like, fuck, we got to use this for everything. Yeah. So like that. And then also like the tinnitus after she blows up the food. Um, lots of the ways that the kind of um, cinematography reflects what Katniss is going through. It kind of makes me feel like we're supposed to understand this is happening from her perspective. So the jump cuts in that scene and like not focusing on anyone just like being murdered and instead just like from person to person and seeing what's happening, that in sense of a narrative makes sense to me. Um, Because like if, if you're trying to survive in that situation, you wouldn't just like sit and stare at a person being murdered. You'd see the kill blow and you'd run or you'd look at something else. That's true. And so that that kind of came a little bit more across to me just because a lot of the decisions were made in terms of like sound and video to show what was going through Katniss's I mind. I certainly have nothing bad to say about the audio in this movie. It the is. The audio is so I think good. the cinematography is good. I think the shaky cam is a little much, but it's it, it works. It's a questionable use of the shaky cam <laughs> for parts of it. Um, but I didn't notice specifically the score, but I think it works in that way. It's one of those things where me not noticing it means it's working so well in that it's just fully immersing me in the experience. The audio is great. The tinnitus stuff is fantastic. There are some mm -hmm. parts where the audio, instead of the tinnitus, it just cuts completely and it's silent. And you're kind of watching this silent film of Katniss running through the woods. And it's just such a good change up to, mm -hmm. to understand. Yeah, I just think I have nothing bad to say about the audio in this film. It's fantastic. I gotta, yeah, Google, I, think, I gotta Google the audio designer in the Hunger Games. I want to give him a shout out. Yeah, I think my first note when I started um, writing down thoughts about this movie is that this score is fantastic. Dude, this guy's got a sick name. Supervising sound editor Lon Bender. Lon Bender. Lon Bender. <laughs> Re-recording mixer. I hardly know where. All right, Sorry. here we go. Uh, Lon <laughs> Bender, Michael Keller, and Mike Presswood-Smith. Those are your three sound editors. So they didn't make the score, but they edited all the sound together. Okay, well, they did a fantastic job because the sound in this movie, it just creates an environment. It's incredible. And you always, yeah. You and I always feel and it, It's incredible. Situated. Normally I will listen with nice, if anything, nice headphones. I really try and mm -hmm. like make sure I'm getting the right audio. Uh, this one I was listening after a few pints and on my <laughs> TV speaker. So I wasn't even getting the full mm -hmm. experience that I normally do when I watch movies. Um, and it was still great. If you, if your mm -hmm. audio is good to a drunk Bradley on his TV speakers, <laughs> you fucking nailed it. That's my... That's my certi that's my certification of approval. Yeah, and it's it's just it's so good and I feel like when I was growing up like all the movies that I thought were scored really well it was like the same handful of guys. We're talking like Howard Shore, we're talking um Hans Zimmer, we're talking John Williams. Those are the three. Like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, The Pirates, like those are the scores I'm thinking of. Um, this score was so different. And it set such a unique mood for the movie. And especially that like four note mocking J call. That was very good too. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, they have, I don't know if it's the same person who does the score. I'll Google that. But I remember in the second movie, Jennifer Lawrence sings a little jingle about the tree at midnight or something. And that's really well done, too. I think they got good audio throughout. 
Yeah, yeah, the the hanging tree. Something like that. There's a tree and Jennifer yeah. Lawrence is singing. Because I remember as, uh, we'll talk about how I feel about Jennifer Lawrence, but <laughs> as a impressionable teenager uh, who found Jennifer Lawrence uh, rather attractive at the time mm-hmm. this movie came mm-hmm. out, and, and still, but when this movie came out, I remember um, finding her a little bit extra foxy when I found out she could sing. I remember that being, oh, like, yeah. I remember that that's an addition to how attractive I it's already good found to know. her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the tree song is a different movie, but uh, that one is catchy as shit. Yeah, I'm just bringing like, it up because I, I think I think the out. audio stays consistent. I think we're pointing out a good mm-hmm. thing, and I think they keep it. Yeah, you can find the soundtracks yeah. on um, Spotify, which is cool. So if you're if you're uh, mm-hmm. if you don't want to rewatch the Hunger Games, but you do want to see what we're talking about, go listen to the soundtrack. It also is called The Hanging Tree. Three hours and thirty eight minutes, or three minutes and thirty eight seconds of Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence singing. It's worth it. Yeah. It's really good. I enjoyed that song a lot. I remember reading the books and wondering how it was going to sound. Because, you know, you ever read verses in books and you try to make up a melody in your head? Only if it's like italicized as like a song. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Yeah, like when I'm reading that... Lord, of, Lord of the Rings and they have all the little songs and jingles and stories and stuff, definitely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the melody that I came up for, I came up with in my head for the hanging tree was nowhere near as good as what they ended up uh same with the movie that she sings for rue actually um they're both italicized as songs and both of them exceeded my expectations just credit again to anyone who had did anything on the audio in this movie it was all incredible all right well let's pivot from audio something we both really loved uh let's i'm gonna try and pick something here that i really liked since i dragged a little bit on the runtime yeah. and the de- <laughs> not enough I, I my my view is not enough death and murder and blood and stuff so uh oh, let's so go violent. let's go to the dystopianness of it all so mm-hmm. um, we both kind of went through this dystopian phase in our kind of impressionable teenage years. Everything mm-hmm. was a fucking dystopian thing. And that never ended. It just turned into zombies. So you had yeah. you had all the dystopian shit. And then everyone was like, you know what? Let's take that dystopian shit and let's put zombies in it. And that extended yeah. through The Walking Dead and now in The Last of Us. And that took a pause, but it hasn't ever really ended. Everyone, no. like, the dystopian right. thing is still... Vampires, dystopia, zombies. And yeah, and, still I, and I will point out, zombies. dystopia has always been a part of literature. It's not something that was just mm-hmm. invented, but I feel like we went through everything ebbs and flows, and I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of what I was reading and right being through. exposed to in high school and early college was dystopian stuff. And so yeah. I've talked already about how this concept is really cool. It's just a really simple, cool mm-hmm. concept. Uh, the, the concept, actually, of an asshole capital and a bunch of districts is not that unusual it's done a different way but that part Mm -hmm. is usually like the dystopia as there's a good area and some bad areas and whatever right but the actual Mm -hmm. hunger games the way this government kind of reminds people um so the the Mm -hmm. lore the movie gives you which i think is the same as the lore the book gives you is Mm -hmm. that uh you get this 20 second little video and the there was an uprising there was an uprising the capital's like fuck off and squashed it and to remind yeah. everybody to remind everybody to not uprise against the capital they kind of draft the two people into the hunger games 23 of them are going to die and then they reward one of them we don't actually learn in the movie i think we learn in the first book 
And we do learn in the second movie that not only do the winners get all this um, kind of fanfare and reward, like they let one live. They don't just let one live. They give them, each mm -hmm. district has like a section of winner's houses. You get to go yeah. on the world tour. You get paraded around. You now get to live in district 12 or every district as the richest, wealthiest, coolest person there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really cool concept. But then within that concept, like they make everything so fucking cool, Rachel. The reaping, <laughs> like everything about like, but not yeah. only the reaping, the reaping is cool. How they pick the people is also just cool. It's unnecessary. You could pick them anyway. You could have everyone goes in one time or whatever. But this idea, the whole idea that the older you are, you just get, you start at 11 with one entry and the older you are, you just get two entries at 12, three at 13, four at 14. But then if you do bad things or you can like trade entries or stuff. You can stuff, buy more of your food. You can buy credit. more food with more entries. That's so cool. Like everything about this is such a cool concept. And the movie executed that perfectly. I was riveted mm -hmm. at the reaping. Uh, I want to talk about Jennifer Lawrence at the reaping. I think that's her best part of the movie for sure is her volunteering as tribute and yeah. like the goodbye to her her mom and, and Gail and all that. Mm -hmm. I think that's when she shines the most. But this whole concept of the reaping, I'll start there, was just so cool and so well executed and had me at the edge of my seat. And the whole time I was watching this, I forgot how cool this was. Yeah, and I think part of what makes it so successful is its simplicity. Because things don't have to be complicated to be evil. Things can just be evil. Or entertaining, because the other thing yeah, I still or, remember or is, is that like, both done. Suzanne Collins in writing the book and who Gary Ross or whatever in producing the movie or directing the mm -hmm. movie, they are trying to entertain us with this evilness. Yeah. And so it doesn't, yeah, they didn't, but it's like, it's simple, but within the simplicity, it's really nuanced. Like I said, like they're not just picking yeah. names out of a hat. There's a whole ecosystem of entering your name yeah. into the Hunger Games. And the movie just gives us a taste of it. But that taste tastes so good. But it's there's there's like a whole economy and like Katniss tries to reassure Prim that she won't be picked because her name is only in there once. But Katniss's name is in there a whole bunch of times. It's, it's you're right simple concept clean execution and then all of the all of the extra details they're not just like an extra thing that you throw it's not like a pineapple on pizza you put it on there just to have it there right it's, it's part of a taste profile it's, it's yeah it's more of like the tomato sauce like the world doesn't make as much sense the pizza doesn't taste as good if you don't have this extra detail with all of these like extra little things you learn building to the conclusion that this society just does not value um the people in the districts or people without a lot of money if you are poor if you are a laborer they don't value you and they hammer that in and the fact that katniss's name is in the reaping a ton of times like oh yeah that would suck but it has more impact because you know that the only reason that happened is because of the society that she's in and the way that they devalue certain people. So it's not just like extraneous detail to make the world seem more complex. It's there for a reason, which I appreciate. It also very closely correlates with something you can relate to in a weird way. Mm -hmm. um, I found that within... 
And I'm trying my best to remember the movie depiction that I watched yesterday and not whatever residual info I have from <laughs> the book 13 years ago. So it's a little yeah. complicated. But mm -hmm. I remember like this whole district system, right? Yeah. You can boil that down to a city. You and I both live in very populated cities. And mm -hmm. I would argue that you and I, compared to the most underprivileged people in our cities, um, mm -hmm. are pretty extraordinarily privileged compared to some of the people that I meet in our city. And yeah. so I just like this whole district system. I just like, so I live in, for context for viewers, I live in Vancouver, uh, Canada, mm -hmm. not the one in Washington that people will sometimes say to annoy me. <laughs> um, so I live in Vancouver and I, we have districts within the city, right? If you mm -hmm. go to Victoria, which is on Vancouver Island, like if BC has literally yeeted its capital to a separate island <laughs> and that island is fucking gorgeous. Like the capital area is incredible. You know what I mean? And then if you go to the downtown east side in Vancouver, that's District 12. So in this is like, this is not something that just happens in the Hunger Games. It happens everywhere. It happens within cities, right? Like within Vancouver, mm -hmm. I can pick 12 different districts that are distinct mm -hmm. from the other ones that have a distinct level of privilege from the other districts, right? And mm -hmm. it's very rare for the people in the privileged districts of Vancouver to want to help or hang out with in the underprivileged districts of Vancouver at all. We don't put mm -hmm. people in a pit and like make them fight to the death, but like this general concept still exists. But then you can expand that even further. So you and I both live in Canada and we live in Vancouver mm -hmm. and Toronto. And so we're in District 1, baby. We are killing it. <laughs> we're having a great... I argue actually that uh, both of these cities are better than Ottawa. And so like I'd argue that we're in the capitals and that Ottawa is like District 8. As long as we don't root for the Sens. No, absolutely not. And so... But within that, like you and I live in, in at least in the district ones of Canada. If you live in like mm -hmm. Timbuktu, Saskatchewan somewhere, you know what I mean? You're not you're not getting the same. You might be in certain ways and it's a different lifestyle, but there's a certain amount of attention and funding and just, not, you know, yeah, getting prestige. There's a lot of prestige to the cities we live in that don't exist on a wider scale in Canada. So I found myself being like, man. This concept is not even that far-fetched. I have no problem believing this district concept at all because it's just a micro it's just a, it's just a, a dystopian version mm -hmm. of something that already exists in my life on a micro scale in the city I live in, but on a macro scale where my city is one of the district ones of the country. What what do you make of that yeah. analysis of the districts? Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I just want to do a quick shout out to if we have any rural viewers, I don't think where you live is any less than where we live. I think the government should pay more attention to it, but oh, it's the same in the Hunger Games. It's more about the prestige and attention than the quality yeah, of it. It's, unfortunately, Metropolis is... Metropoli? I'm not sure. They get more attention, and it means that they get more benefit, and that can really suck if you have decided that living in a metropolis isn't for you. But or you can't I, afford it. <laughs> or you just can't. Yeah. Like, that's a whole other problem. Yeah. Thank God for COVID rent or I'd be priced out of Toronto. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But um yeah, I um I I think I, I liked the way the district system worked. I think it made sense. Um like I have the book knowledge in my head, so I know that they're numbered by how close they are to the capital. The closer you are to the capital, the more likely you are to get side benefits from living close to the capital. So obviously District 12, furthest out, uh, is the most hard done by, or at least District 12 for now. Spoilers. Um, but <laughs> I, again, a simple concept. They all have one main export. 
Um, and I think we're supposed to understand that this society is the product of like some sort of previous nuclear war, and that's why society is so simplified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's meant to be. I don't like, think it's ever like explicitly stated, but I think interestingly implied. enough, I think it is in the blurb for the movie. In I, the think bl- it, I think oh. in like a little blurb, it says in like in a future North America after mm. something has happened. Yeah, there's some kind of war or whatever. Yeah. Where there's not like again, computers and stuff. But there kind of is. They yeah. have a lot of tech in the capital. It feels it's, like it was more like things weren't wiped out. They were just consolidated into a rich area. Yeah, so I think it happened and then the winning city created this capital system and then the districts revolted well after that and that's when the capital started the Hunger Games. But all to say, because this was a bit of a tangent... I just, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. You understand it. Um, I I just like the way it's set up. I think if it were more complicated, uh, we would have a harder time understanding the story from Katniss's perspective. And it is all from Katniss's perspective. So having this kind of clean delineation uh, really helps the story move forward. All right, let's talk about Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, okay. A performance that was good. I don't think it was as exceptional as I was remembering it being. Um, mm-hmm. she, she doesn't have a bad moment in the movie at all, unlike uh, Josh Hutcherson, which I think has a few mm-hmm. kind of iffy moments. And then Liam Hem- Hemsworth, fuck me, I can't. <laughs> oh my God. Like, the movie doesn't do him any favors, but dear God, no. I can't. I can't. Anyways, um, the reaping... Uh, the thing that kind of sets this in motion is Prim. There's such a good attention to detail. Like her, like Prim being told to tuck her tail in. And then like when she gets called, like Prim is almost going to Prim almost, she seems stunned, but she almost seems like she's going to face it and like tucks her tail back. And like my fucking sister told me to tuck my tail in and I'm going to mm-hmm. walk up there. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So like the people who made this, this whole sequence, the, the huge attention to detail. And so Prim gets pulled against all the odds fuck that sucks so prim gets pulled mm-hmm. that propels katniss into the story there's no option here she has to volunteer yeah. uh, i have a question later about the volunteer system like why like i whatever we're gonna talk about i have some rules like some quidditch rules level analysis okay. of the hunger games that i have some issues with um but since there's a volunteering system that exists in this mm-hmm. world once i accept that that exists um, there's no choice for Katniss. You have to volunteer. Like any older, you have mm-hmm. to volunteer. I don't. Mm-hmm. I I try not to make myself the hero of any story. I try not to read a story and be like, oh, if I was in that story, I'd be the good guy. And like, I think everyone is capable of being both the hero and the villain. And it's like, like a lot of the media we consumed, it's about the choices you make along the way, right? But mm-hmm. you're not inherently good or bad all the time. Like, you can choose to go either way. And so I really try and like, if I was in this world, would I really? Really, if I'm in the spoilers for Game of Thrones, if I'm in Game of Thrones and I'm Jon Snow and it's the Battle of the Bastards, mm-hmm. like, am I really charging up there by myself, just holding a sword? I'm like, no, fuck off. I'm a coward. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm Mm-mm. I'm back in the bag. I Backwards. just you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not that person. But in yeah. the Hunger Games, I feel like I'm definitely that person, right? Like I have two younger brothers, and if I was 17 or Katniss seems like at the upper limit of the age, like she's pushing like it. 16, 17, 16, I 17. If I was in the upper limit and my brother's eight years younger than me, so it actually worked out perfectly. Like he would be the first mm-hmm. year while I was in the last year of this limit and he got mm-hmm. pulled. You don't have a choice. You're volunteering. Like I absolutely yeah. would volunteer to do that. And so yeah. it's just a really believable way 
to get Katniss into the story without giving her like a hero complex. Like she does, she did has lost a parent, but that's just extra dressing for her character. That's not like has that doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to do with her getting picked to be in the Hunger Games, which I liked. And then she volunteers, and the 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 running up, the screaming, I volunteer for tribute, the saying goodbye to Prim, and uh, saying goodbye to fucking Gail, fuck me, saying goodbye to the mom, like, you, it doesn't hit you over the head, but you do get the sense that, like, the mom has kind of disappeared since dad died, and she needs to take mm-hmm. care of Prim, you don't go revisit that, but that was all just really well written and everything, but Jennifer Lawrence, that yeah. was the moment she signed the most, I think. Yeah, I think... She was given a really hard job in this movie, and I think in the whole series. Obviously, the I Volunteer as Tribute, you know, I've seen like 110 million gifts of her doing that. But my favorite scene of her, I think, is the is the rude death scene. It's the first time we see her get to behave like an actual human. The bur- the, from like the, the kind moment. of burial ceremony bit of it all, or the attack, yeah. or the the quick shot kill the guy part of it. All of it from when she finds Rue in the trap to when she leaves. Gotcha. That's basically like from the moment she gets on the train. That's like the first human moment she's had. Yeah, Um, absolutely. But Katniss doesn't translate super well as an on-screen character. Uh, She's very closed off and like she has all of that backstory there are things that have happened to her that have made her damaged in certain ways. She's very perfunctory. She's very closed off. She doesn't want to tell anyone what she's feeling or thinking. And as a movie protagonist, it makes it really difficult to kind of get across what you're thinking or feeling. Um, so I think in the scenes where Katniss actually gets to like let loose and show her emotions i think jennifer lawrence really shines i think she shines again i totally agree i think she shines again when she's leaving the cave like the sugans were leaving the cave getting the medicine for Peta, coming back and giving it to him Uh, Mm -hmm. that was another moment where she really shined too yeah yeah so it's basically like in the moments where katniss forgets that she's katniss and her reactions just take over (laughs) Yeah. That's where you really see Jennifer Lawrence kind of sink her teeth into the material. But just as a character, Katniss isn't very emotive. And you see that in like a few of the romantic scenes or like even when she's talking to Gail or when she's just having conversations, she's very stone-faced. And that is a thousand percent true to the books, true to the story. That's who she is. It's hard to make that relatable if you can't hear everything she's thinking, which you can in the books. So I can see there being some like waffling on Jennifer Lawrence's performance on this one. I think she did as much as she could with the material while still staying true to the character. I don't have that many complaints about uh I don't really have any complaints about how she did. Yeah, it's it's also just a fail. I think it's just a failure of expectation on my part too, right? Because I go mm-hmm. in, I'm, I'm like, this is why we do the bit, the beginning with context. Like, how long has it been since we watched the movie? When did we yeah. first watch it? Like, when did we read the book? Because that's all really important. I am revisiting this 13, 12, well, now I guess in the movie, 10 years later, 11 years after this movie came out, 
Right. Mm-hmm. And so I watched Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone. I think that's what it's called before that. And she is genuinely so. exceptional. Like yeah. just a, like that that gets her the Hunger Games movie. Right. And then I've seen all of her stuff since then where she's now she's the Oscar winning actress, Jennifer mm-hmm. Lawrence, who's absolutely exceptional. I watched a movie about her playing someone who invents a mop or something. Oh, Joy. Joy. I, I, yeah. It fucking blew me away. I, I thought <laughs> I was going to hate that movie. I only went because I was in my early 20s and had a big old crush on Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> and you know what? She fucking killed it. And so I just like was going in with that Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Mm. And then I watched it and she shines more than she doesn't for sure. You can see it in there. Right. Mm. But she compared to someone like Stanley Tucci in this movie. That's just, not fair. That's not fair. That just chews it up <laughs> and just, it just everything about his performance uh, is exceptional. Okay. Let's, okay. I don't want to, I don't want do to, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like Jennifer Lawrence's performance. I thought it was it's certainly the best of all the main characters for sure. Um, it's yeah it's a hard character to translate i think she did the very best she could and i still really liked it all right let's talk about josh hutcherson um so (laughs) how do i how do i talk about this so when i watched first watch this movie Mm -hmm. i remembered not liking josh hutcherson's performance i don't remember why i don't remember if it was an adaptation Mm -hmm. issue or i don't know if it was a translation from the book to the movie issue I don't know if it was just just simply an acting performance issue. I don't I don't remember mm. if it was a writing issue, any of that stuff. So I just went into this rewatch, remembering that I wasn't the biggest fan of Josh Hutcherson for some reason. This mm. time around, I think it truly is just a little bit of an acting thing. I did not brush mm. up because I'm so divorced from the book now is 10 or 11 years ago. I don't remember specifically how Peter's described. I just remember generally PETA and so I'm mm-hmm. my brain's a little more malleable this rewatch to just fit Josh Hutcherson in as he it's is presented in, yeah. without comparing him to a book version of the character which was helpful um mm-hmm. I appreciated Josh Hutcherson quite a bit there are some moments where the acting is not great it's not awful mm-hmm. but I can tell that he's an actor who's struggling to pull it off sometimes mm-hmm. but just because I know a lot of people don't like Josh Hutcherson in this role I don't think he's the best PETA. There's definitely a better person you could cast out there for PETA. I liked him more than I didn't like him this time, which is certainly a better review than I would have given him the first time because it's been 10 years and I remembered Mm -hmm. after 10 years not liking him. And I think there are these moments in the cave specifically was one that I really thought he pulled it off when he's first Mm -hmm. meeting Hamish and he's really excited to get going with Hamish. Right. Mm -hmm. And like he's in there, he's chatting with him. I thought he really he really sold it. Like just the look on his face. I got this. He's a really eager person. I thought I thought in the moment, too, where at the end where he's like, just kill me. Like one of us has got to go back. It's got to be you. It's an easy moment to root for PETA. But also I thought he pulled off the kind of resigned, defeated understanding, like doesn't really want to die, but knows that he's got to make the sacrifice, knows that he never mm-hmm. really has kind of been resigned to it from the beginning, like knows that he never really had a chance. The scene mm-hmm. in the window where he says, I don't want them to own me. I, I thought that was okay. Right. So I think he does have yeah. these moments that he hits really well. The spots where he's being interviewed or where he's training or whatever. I was like, man, I don't know if Josh Hutcherson's the person, the, the bread sequence, the flashback bread sequence, no complaints there. And that yeah. was all facial acting. So I just, I just wanted to appreciate Josh Hutcherson a little more than normal. Certainly nowhere near Jennifer Lawrence's performance, but better than I remember. 
Yeah, I think I agree. There are still some things that just feel off. And it's not the right point, casting. Confidently yeah. can say there's there had to have been a better person out there. I don't know who that would have been. But yeah, you're right. Something feels just a little off. It's just. But at the same time, like, I don't have a ton of complaints about how he handled the material. I think he handled it really well. I just. When I think of Katniss and Peeta, that's not I can believe Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss. I'm not quite there with Josh's PETA. But at the same time, I don't want to like to denigrate his performance because I think he did a good job with what he was given. Where are my notes? I took notes on this. I don't want to. I think forget. if I'm giving him a grade. Right. Like if I'm giving I that if I'm giving the performances six. a grade, I'll go Jennifer Lawrence gets an A. And I was oh, just I was just expecting just because she's Jennifer Lawrence as I know her now that big A plus shining star top of the class you know what I mean but she's getting an A she was fantastic <laughs> I think Josh Hutcherson's getting somewhere between a C and a C plus not a C plus mm. not a C minus either somewhere in that C region serviceable yeah. did a good job but certainly could elevate there was room to elevate in there okay. somewhere I found it. I found the reason that I identified before my second glass of wine. So it probably makes a little <laughs> more sense. Um, I think Josh's PETA just reads a little too frantic for me. Like when something risky comes up, I, I just like keep thinking of the scene of him after the tracker jackers. It's like, what are you doing? Go, you gotta go. And that just does not translate to book PETA for me. Because Book Pete is supposed to be really steadfast, really suave. Like he charms the pants off of anyone he meets. From yeah, the this Capitol. Pete is not charming. He's he can he can like turn it on. He has like a bit of that. I don't know like, the interview. The interviews kind of... where I think his charm shows up are where I brush against yeah. it the most. Yeah, and I think they they did it a little clumsily. Um, I don't know, like the do I smell like roses? I don't know if that translates as well into the movie again but... though maybe this is an issue where like you just give me like that second PETA interview it's like 10 yeah. seconds give him a minute give him something to yeah, do give like him give, him the, give him the chance to really like give him some yeah right they really cut to PETA twice in two different interviews and both but... times it's sub 30 seconds and it's like oh give yeah. me like more with him to let and him chew on it a little bit he's supposed to be so confident too like He's resolute. So, he knows so you're that he's brushing up a die. little more against the adaptation. Yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel. I just like he admits that he loves Katniss going into the games prepared to die, and he just. I thought that I line get... was delivered well. Like the but, yeah. she, but she came here with me. And she came here with me. Oh. It breaks my heart every time. Yeah, that got me. I was like, "Holy shit, that was that was good." Oh. And like the best part is, she's like, "How could you fucking lie?" And that he's was like, "So good for I'm Jennifer not lying." The, she's like swinging punches. Yeah. yeah, I was into that. Yeah, she's like, "How could you lie?" And okay, that that is a is a fantastic scene. It was a great scene in the books. It was a great scene in the movie. Him like admitting that he loves her and her being convinced that he's lying is like peak both characters. Um, 
I just, I think I wanted the PETA adaptation to just be a little more confident. Like, in the books, at least from what I can remember, because it, it has been a while since I've read them, I just remember PETA saying, like, hey, I love you. I am in love with you. I have loved you for a very long time. I will wait for you to figure it out, but my mind isn't going to change. And now that this is known at the time, it's the only thing that saves uh, Katniss from yeah. getting the shit kicked out of her in and the game. And he's smart, too. Like, yeah, he only he... admits it because it's smart to do. Like, he's smart. Him, him and Hamish got it going on with the strats. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's pivot. We're just gonna go on a tangent okay. now. We've done an okay. hour an hour of <laughs> analysis. Um, I fucking loved the Peta and Hamish understanding how to play the game. The game is mm. not the Hunger Games. That's part of the game. There's an aspect no. to it. There Side is game. like you do have to go in there ready to kill people and knowing how to avoid being killed. That is a part of it, mm-hmm. right? But there's the game within the game. This isn't a fair competition. You can charm people. Mm-hmm. You can talk to people. the fact. I'm gonna no, I'm gonna save this for a whole rules. I want to get all my rules problems okay. out in one shot. We'll save that for later. Okay. Um, but they get it. They know they're playing the game, and Peta is on it. He's like, if I'm in love with her, and then Hamish gets like, if they can root for this like love interest, then they're more mm-hmm. likely to get sponsors. They're more likely to be able to stick together, right? And then it it translates into a fake double fake out with the Barry's rule change, right? Mm-hmm. Which like it it works. It's a strategy yeah. and it works. And then that I don't know. You're right. I think in the book it's more like pronounced like Peter's got the strat. In the movie, it kind of seems like it's both a strategy and kind of happening by accident. But either way, I was into Katniss not having any of the she's got the skill with the bow, but she has mm-hmm. none of the social skills, none, none of the charm, none of the she strategy. Won't. She doesn't understand at all what's going on past the she's got to get into an arena and fight in the hunger games and it's everyone else around her that understands that there's a bigger game afoot that worked really well for me yeah no i i really like that because like i used to read a lot of young adult ya or dystopia when i was a young adult so all those books in that demographic i was chewing through if it was fantasy if it was dystopia if it was sci-fi i was reading it And what I was getting really tired of was protagonists who would be faced with a new challenge and just adapt to it perfectly. And be instantly great at it. I mean, instantly great at it. And they were just like, oh, I don't know. I just like, it was something within me. It just like came up and now I'm doing this. And how goddamn refreshing is it that Hamish is like, Katniss, I'm going to need you to like be not the worst. And just nice to Caesar. Just just nice. Be pleasant. But and a, she like can barely do that. And there's also and the layer there too that like when you meet Hamish, he's not really he's just there for the drinks and the trip to the Capitol. Yeah. Right. His, he, his, his mood is like just fucking you're just gonna die. Enjoy the week. I can't help you. Which I think again, like I, I don't mm. want to make myself the hero of the story. If I was Hamish, right. That's kind of, I I don't want to pretend like I'd be a super motivated mentor of the District 12 people. You know what I mean? So I understand that. But there's this interesting layer where the only reason Hamish 
even comes around to trying to coach them is because Katniss is good at something and could actually win. It has nothing to do with PETA. And so now he's like, fuck, now I'm in because Katniss might actually win this thing. Right. And PETA's got the strategy down so we can leverage that. And so now he's like in because of Katniss, but she is not good at anything he needs her to do. And that little layer in characterization works so well. Yeah. It just, Honestly, I was reading a ton of books. Introvert. Also wouldn't have super loved being interviewed by a man in a baby blue powdered wig. Uh, I probably would have also been terrible at that. So <laughs> very relatable. I think obviously the situation is not relatable, but I think it just. I hate when protagonists kind of change their personality to fit the situation that they're in. They're like, oh, I need to be good at this now. So I guess I should just like quickly do like level up a bunch of personal growth levels in my growth chart and then just be there. Imagine like Skyrim where she like stands still, pauses, yeah. and gets the tree open. To, like, and you get your speech up to like 99 and you're like, I can do it now. It does feel really earned when she comes around to like playing the game and like making out with PETA in the cave and stuff. Like it yeah, feels and... really earned that she comes around to it out of the strategy. And at and least, it ambiguous, at least it's ambiguous whether she's actually come around to liking him or not. But mm-hmm. you you can tell that part of this is like she understands the strategy. She knows where the cameras are. She knows what people want. And, mm-hmm. and so she goes for it. And that feels really earned instead of her just kind of leveling up the I need to love PETA right now. Yeah. And I think what I really miss from the books, I honestly have no idea how they would have gotten into the movie is when Hamish sends her the soup instead of medicine. It, I don't think it comes with a note. He just sends her soup and she has this whole entire internal monologue thinking like, why on earth would this idiot send me soup? PETA is dying of an infection. And she thinks to herself like, no, Hamish is telling me like he needs to eat, put on a show like the cameras are on. I don't know that that's exactly how she gets to that conclusion, but maybe it's a little longer, but we miss that kind of, she and Hamish developed like this kind of wordless communication. Right, I don't think you can get I that would... across. I don't think if you had showed There's me no like the way. soup arriving and then Katniss figuring out that means she needs to like PETA, I would not have believed you. Which is, yeah, which I don't know how on earth they would have translated that. Um, but the, the note works fine because I, I, I believe yeah. Katniss is a person that needs that boost to catch on. Yeah, like no, she, she, she's been shown as someone who's not aware of the strategy at all. So like mm. her getting a little note being like, hey, snap, snap, I got some soup now. But if you if you get put on a show, I can help you more. Like I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But they can't put it in the note because then the cameras will catch it. So it needs to be. So I, I just like that about Katniss that she's consistent. She doesn't just like magically become good at stuff. She stays bad at the stuff she's bad at. And I like that about her. I don't remember how we got to this topic. That's all good. Uh, I'm going to move on. Um, Hamish, played by Woody Harrelson, is just fucking great. I love Hamish. Just a shout. Woody Harrelson is amazing in everything he's in. I The first time that I watched him in a movie and really remembered his performance as being truly... he's got he's, He ends up with a bunch of roles, but his my favorite mm-hmm. role of his... Um, I think True Detective is probably his best role that I've seen him in. Mm. But my favorite one is definitely Friends with Benefits, where he plays the I, the, the gay 
um the gay gq editor the aggressively or, or gay whatever. gq editor oh uh, there's some <laughs> really funny line something that involves the word dickily that i just the way he delivers the way he delivers it is so good so just an absolute joy to see woody harrelson as haymitch and i think the whole haymitch character um mm -hmm. really really works and they don't go too into how i like the idea of the mentors there's just so much cool shit i'm gonna shout out some more cool shit mm -hmm. in a second the mentor system is more cool shit that the previous winners from your district obviously it makes sense they would mentor you to try and win i get it totally that's cool mm -hmm. um but that character works so well and woody harrelson is great elizabeth banks is what's her face is fantastic she steals the show for steals me. the show she's absolutely wonderful. she's good she also the director of cocaine bear which is interesting what? yeah Elizabeth oh, Banks God. has directed some bad movies and then Cocaine Bear, which is not amazing, but it's fine. <laughs> and then Cocaine I will say this about Cocaine um, Bear. Any problems I have with it have nothing to do with the direction. So Elizabeth mm. Banks, killing it. She, I like okay. Pitch Perfect 2. She directed Pitch Perfect 2. It's mm. not as good as she, the first one, but it's fine. It, she, she remains charming in all of the Pitch Perfect movies. Okay. Oh, yeah. Is her? Yeah. I, I, can, I, can, I, can I make a headcanon that her character oh. in Pitch Perfect as like the commentator of the acapella thing <laughs> and this character in the Hunger Games are like an alternate dimension. Like her life started at one point in two dimensions and they just played out differently because they're the exact same person. But I believe, I think if you de-aged the one from the Hunger Games, put her in the Pitch Perfect mm -hmm. universe and then aged her up that's exactly who she'd become is the mm. is like that commentator of the acapella competitions mm. that's my new headcanon for elizabeth banks i will put forward a perhaps controversial opinion and if you get any angry emails you'll have to let me know i think effie has the most character growth of anyone in the hunger Games series from just the I, just this movie no, sorry. So this would be the whole series. Oh, like, okay. I was like, in this movie, I don't know if she grows a whole time. I don't think anyone has any particular character growth in this movie. I think people are who they are. The book happens over the course of a couple weeks. It's not a lot of time for significant change. I think Effie, over the course of the series, changes the most. Y'all can tell me if you think that's a terrible take. I'm prepared to be wrong. I have not read the books recently enough to even know if that's... I have them on my shelf when you come to Toronto. I will let you have them. I'm excited for that. That's going to be fun. Anyways, we can talk about that offline. <laughs> that does not need to be a on-the-podcast conversation. All right, I'm going to shout out some more cool shit here. I think yes. having a games maker is... There's so many... Like, I just want to acknowledge that I think everything about this is fucked up. So just assume that I think this is fucked up and that I don't actually think mm -hmm. this is cool. This is all fictional. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to actually happen. But accepting that it actually happens, they did it as cool as they fucking possibly could. There's a mm -hmm. games maker. There is a person whose whole job is to tailor these games to be like the best child death Olympics they could be. That is yeah. fucking rad. That adds so much to the world that it's not just a rant. It's not just a pit with the 24 people. One of them's going to live. There's a whole yeah. dude whose job is like propaganda master, the person oh. who sets everything up, who creates the weird CGI dogs, who like positions people like uh, Katniss gets a little off track. Time to burn her alive <laughs> to get her back. Like, I don't endorse any of it. I don't support any of it. Once that's I cool. accept that it exists, though, that's the coolest way to do it. He's got cool ass facial hair that should feel goofy as hell, but it doesn't. It feels <laughs> exactly right for someone who's the games maker of the child death Olympics. 
that's fucking rad. I loved everything to do with the game's making process. I like the CGI room. I like the computers. I liked that there's technology to adapt the games as they go. The one thing I remember about the second Hunger Games is that it's a clock system and that like mm-hmm. the the things happen like on a time. That's great. I love everything about the games making in the Hunger Games. The cornucopia, cool as hell. I love everything about having a, there's two, there's strategy. You can either go for the cornucopia if you're feeling confident and get your weapons, or you can just grab a backpack full of who knows what and just run off into the woods if that's if that's your go-to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everything about it, so cool. Just That's just two more cool things that I like about this movie. Yeah, no, the, the world building in this movie, I would say is probably far and above better than the books because uh, yeah i i've said this like a hundred times i'll say it again the books are restricted by being in cap katniss's head so we just get what she thinks happens but the movies knowing that they've got a bigger world to play with they actually show you um so one expanding on caesar and his interview companion who i don't know if they ever actually i have it on imdb is it brooded i hope it's brood uh, what, okay, what name are you hoping it is? Uh, it could be, it could be, no, Flavius isn't, Flavius is a stylist. It's another Roman style name. It is Claudius Templesmith. Claudius, okay. By Toby Jones. Yes. I like Toby Jones. He's good in a lot of things. Yeah, but like the world building with Caesar, the adding in, because none of that Game Maker stuff is in the books. That's all a completely new addition. You know, seeing Haymitch talk to seneca crane and like making those deals about like young love etc that's all movie original world building and i think they did such a good job with that in a way that didn't feel um shoehorned it felt completely natural to the growth of the story that to understand what was happening you get to see all this um the one thing that I can never get past, and this is 100% a me thing. I just, when they create things out of nothing using like technology. I like the dogs. They just come out of the ground. Like, like the dogs. They just come out of the ground. Like from what? Like, I don't know. I have that. How, the dogs coming out of the ground is a little much. Like, because it's like, so easy to just be like, hey, do we have that cage of dogs? Yeah. yeah, it's so and, so like it's so easy as a filming choice to just have the do- like the real dogs on standby and just unleash them into the world where you need them. Like you don't need to have them CGI out of the ground. Yeah, and then there's like genetically modified bees and like I don't know what else I can think of. That, that one made sense to me. The dog, the CGI dogs, I have in my notes for sure. The the bees were always there. They just like I could believe in this world that you ge- you can pre genetically modify an animal. And put yeah. it in your arena. But the, the the bees were always at that tree. And it's just lucky that Katniss showed up there. It's not like Katniss was in the tree. And the games makers were like. Let's CGI some bees. And she would see what she does with them. Yeah. I, did they just like 3D print the dogs? I just don't understand the level of technology that they have. It just seems at times like a little Too inconsistent. Because like sometimes they can just like as I said, 3D print dogs out of nothing. They pop out of the ground and they're ready to eat you. And then other times, in order to get a body out of the arena, they have to fly a ship in to come get you. Right. If you can 3D print dogs, why can't you teleport a a body? I don't understand. 
So that's like a tiny grape? Really? Tiny, tiny, You're allowed tiny. to have big grapes if it's a big grape. You don't have to. No, because it, it's just so stupid. Like, it's a future dystopian. None of this is real. Why am I fixating on this? But for some reason, it bothers me <laughs> that their level of like advanced tech doesn't seem to be consistent between the things they can do. All right, I do want to talk about the pageantry process before the games a little bit, and then yes. and then the Katniss Everdeen Barry play at the end of the Hunger Games. But since you had a minor gripe with something, I'm going to take this moment to gripe about the rules of the Hunger Games. <laughs> so I just want to preface this with a few things. This style of podcasting comes from my absolute detesting of the rules of Quidditch and Harry Potter, it is clear that the person who wrote Harry Potter has never played a sport or watched a sport or understands how fucking sports work at all. And while I love Quidditch as an idea and I like reading it in the book, the rules specifically really bother me. <laughs> On to the Hunger Games. Now that I've adopted this mindset of criticizing the rules of sporting events, the rules in the Hunger Games make no sense. So here, here is my issue with the rules of the Hunger Games. Any rule that has something to do with the capital putting on a show to suppress the population, all that stuff, I'm okay with. So it does not bother me that they can just change the rules for um, the two people, right? It doesn't surprise me that they can just like come on the radio and change the rules as they go. The fact that that happens, I totally understand. I think since you're already halfway through the games and like most people have had their other person killed, a little bit unfair to to, yeah. to whatever, but that's fine. This isn't meant to be fair. However, mm -hmm. there are some other things that I really do brush up against. Okay. Let's start with in the games, Hamish talking to the games maker. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is going on? What level of bullshittery is this? That this is where I needed my movie to be longer. Because you introduced to me this concept of Hamish can go and talk to the games maker and can which is bonkers. Like that's crazy that this can mm -hmm. happen. But Hamish can go and talk to the games maker and tell him about this true love, and then he's gonna change the rules so that whatever. But they don't show presumably the other people, mentors from the other districts are also doing that. So why on earth like I need that scene of what I needed for that to work for me is like, Hamish can go and talk to the games maker, which I fundamentally disagree with as a rule. But once I accept that, mm -hmm. I also yeah. have to accept that there's eight other people or what is that? 11 other people yeah. in that same conversation being like, what the fuck? You can't just add that. Like, you know what I mean? Like they don't give me that. And so it just feels like, why does this rule exist? And why is Hamish the only one using it? It's the same with training, right? I understand that you're just given scores for no reason, but like no one has to show any skills. Katniss gets the highest score, 11 out of 12. Her entire training consists of shooting three arrows and missing one of them, right? And so, like, there's no, like, the, 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 those kind of things just really bug me because they're not, they're not there to support this unfair competition. I think they're literally just oversights in a movie that really stick out to me. Those are the two that stuck out the most. Scoring is an oversight. She gets 13, doesn't she? Uh, it's out of 12. Is it 13, 12? She gets one less than the top. I think it's out of 12 and she gets 11. I'm going to Google it while I'm talking about this. That's, that's but... kind of separate from the point, though. It can be out of 100. There's more that, like, like what 
what are the other skills like so like cat like you should not even if katniss oh. hits 100 arrows in a row why is she getting an 11 out of like so th they're not grading them on you know the specific skill that they demonstrate they're grading them on survivability and when but, katniss but that's what i'm saying like Kat katniss has proved zero survivability skills other than the one where if she happens to get her hands on a bow and arrow, she might theoretically be able to kill someone with it. But like she yeah, hasn't, and, she hasn't demonstrated that she can light a fire or that she can find food or that she can purify water. Like that, this is more. I just needed to be a little longer. And I I understand well, for the movie. They only have three minutes. They have three minutes per person. So is that really I, the I think, case? Is it three yeah, minutes? Yeah, they have three minutes. Yeah. What so they go in. So they have to go in and they have to show the game makers that they're there to fucking win because the higher score you get, the more likely you are to get sponsors, which is why she's so panicked. Because she's like, all I can do is shoot. Right, but now I'm just moving my them. issue into like, you're the capital. You're putting, why, 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 why even do it? I don't know. There's, there's those things bother me for sure. I think it's, it's more of a fanfare thing, but I think like, the the imagery of her shooting the arrow into the game maker's room and hitting the the apple in the pig's mouth that's like that's never been done before and she's basically saying i have an unparalleled level of confidence and not only will i do this batshit crazy thing i will do it successfully and so she gets this really high rating. So that made sense to me. It's basically the, the capital saying, yeah, we respect your balls for that incredibly dumb decision that you made. I don't remember the other rule that you had an issue with. The, oh, what was it? <laughs> Fuck, I can't even remember. That's how dumb it was. <laughs> oh my god oh the um being able to talk to the games maker i don't have a i don't have a problem oh. i don't i don't have a specific yeah. problem that that rule exists my problem is that only hamish is doing this like where are the other oh. 11 people taking advantage of this like what's going on so he's, he's not um what we miss is that katniss tells us that they're like every night when the games kind of quiet down for the evening and the tributes go to sleep um the sponsors and the um crap what are they called the coaches sponsors coaches and the game makers they all schmooze just get in a room and they drink and right they but talk. that's not in the movie at all that's just book stuff no i'm just not, from no. the movie and what the movie shows me so i think you're right we could have used one big schmooze scene like where like hamish convinces someone to send katniss medicine or then you have like a, a district two coach showing like, hey, maybe like you could send Kato some food because he can't. Yeah, hunt. This also would have helped yeah. too because yeah. my list is long, but I'll end it with the I'll <laughs> end it here with the sponsors is my next problem with these rules. Again, I don't fundamentally have a problem with sponsors existing because it's not a fair competition. And I think the sponsors existing actually really heightens the story. It really highlights the privilege if you're from a rich district. You are more likely to have more people give you more things, which is skew. It's a really cool allegory for how privilege works in our society now, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, yes, it's kind of like when people say they're going to ensure that everyone has access to healthcare. It's like, well, not everyone can afford it, even though like, the hospital's there and you can go to it, but you still you have access to it in that way. You know what I mean? 
It's like this, yeah. where it's like ostensibly anyone can receive sponsorships, so it's fair, right? But that's mm -hmm. not how it works at all. So it's a really cool allegory for how privilege in real life works. So no issues mm -hmm. with the sponsors existing. It's totally believable for this world. What I do have a problem with is that they don't give us the rules of sponsorship. So like, why on earth, with, with what the movie shows me, maybe in the books mm -hmm. it's explained, maybe I can extrapolate some of this, but what the movie shows me is that these people are career people that have trained for this forever, that come from really rich districts, and they don't lay out any rules for sponsorships. Theoretically, anyone can be a sponsor or whatever. What, why aren't there just parachutes flying down to all the career people all the time? Right, like where, like why, why is this not, like where's my, like, like if there, if you show me the rules and you can say, okay, every team gets one dedicated sponsor and that sponsor can dedicate, like donate five things. It, to me, it's just completely unbelievable that all of the really rich people aren't just getting parachute after parachute after parachute after parachute of helpful shit, right? Like when the when yeah. the food gets exploded, the apples the apples go, they hit the thing, yeah. and they explode. There's no more food for any of these rich career kids. Like mm -hmm. it's completely unbelievable to me that there's not instantly a parachute from District One with food, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, like I just I needed a little bit of an explanation with the sponsorships. For them to yeah. make sense, not as a concept, but in the execution. Yeah. That's another one of those things that as a book reader, it just made automatic sense to me. Um, but then I never, so I never thought about it when watching the movies. But like for context, the longer the games go on, the more expensive gifts get. And it depending, it also including the value of the gift. So like, an apple at the start of the game, one dollar. An apple a weekend, ten dollars. Burn medicine first day of the game, fifty bucks. Burn medicine after a week, probably close to ten thousand. That's perfect. Like if I had gotten that in the movie, up. I'd be so much happier. Because yeah. what I got in the movie is that there are sponsors, and you can have as many of them as you like. And the more charming you are, mm -hmm. the more sponsors you're gonna get. And I have, yeah. I have so like, yeah, the food scene is where it bothered me. All this food gets yeah. exploded and they're hoarding and then, all like, why, why, why even hoard food at all? Like why even do, why not just go wherever just knowing you're going to get parachutes of food from all your yeah. rich sponsors. So like that, that I really, the sponsors, I didn't take me out of it, but I left the movie having my questions about like, what did the movie tell me about sponsors? And does that make sense? And my analysis is absolutely not. It would have been nice to think if a few sponsor balloons had fallen while they were waiting for Katniss. Right, or just like, give me a shot of like another balloon falling for anyone else. Yeah. Right, like Katniss can see from a, maybe she tries to shoot it down with a arrow. Like that would have been sick. This is, this is another moment where I think like you had 10 minutes to this movie. You can really flush mm. out some of these things. Uh, you weren't, you weren't correct, but you weren't wrong at all. Only 15 minutes canonically for people to get their score. 15 minutes okay right yeah so not not right. long so not my my problem my problem with this it, although what it does say though is canonically or also like they're also meant to take into account the three days of training mm -hmm. which still leads me to the same problem i have with the scoring is that we don't actually see much of this training and so yeah. like we only see katniss shoot three arrows and her get an 11 because there's some there's a moxie to her moxie she's got grit that was President Snow too. Being, <laughs> being, like that was so fun when President Snow was like, "You fucking idiot! What the fucking eleven? You absolute like." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know what? I hate you, but you're right. Eleven is absurd. Right. This yeah. is absurd. She does not deserve to get an eleven. No. Or she, like, and, and then he's even like, "Why? Because she's like, 
she shot an arrow that almost hit your head and he's like well she did hit the apple so yeah it was near your head you fucking idiot like i just i love that so much i was so into that oh uh donald sutherland is such a good president snow he's very good good. all right that was my rules rant i hope the people out there agree with me or else that was a hard part of the podcast to get through and i apologize for my uh whinging about the rules Uh, let's talk about the pageantry um the fire cgi i'm not gonna lie and i like this movie was made in 2012 this was not like jurassic park in 1993 or whatever you know Mm -hmm. what i mean whenever that came out this you had the tech you had the tech and you had the money 80 million dollars in 2012 is a pretty big budget movie the Mm -hmm. fire cgi was rough but but the whole pageantry aspect of this is so again i just use the word cool it's so cool cool. and like the idea that there's this guy i think it's played by lenny kravitz of all people who like like dresses you up and there's like fire on your dress and you're getting carted out i went through this period of my notes where i was totally in on the child murder i think i even said it (laughs) yeah here it is um i put the fire cgi lamau it's a good thing PETA can throw a boulder at some sticks. That will come in handy. <laughs> and then I put, there's betting odds. Count me in. I'm ready to go. I don't care about the child murder anymore. Look, I'm a, I'm a sports person at heart, and I, I love a sporting event. For those of you who are listening to this, I like I, I watch all sports. I watch soccer. I watch baseball. I watch basketball. I watch hockey. I watch Formula One. I'm into curling. I'll watch cricket. I'm just a sports person, right? And again, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not pro the child murder, but once I'm accepting it, and I'm watching this movie and I'm going to have to watch the child murder. You get me a pageant. You give me scores. My problem is not with the scores. It's just how they're calculated. You get there's odds. There is a scene where the odds are changing in real time. You can bet on the child murder. That's fucking rad as hell. This is a well. Ex- I'm going to make the case. I'm going to make the case that Hunger Games is a good sports movie. The sport is just child murder, which is not good. But as a sports movie, I can make a defense of this film. Okay, so if they did like a like a paintball version of the Hunger Games, where you would like paint arrows and paint knives, and if you go like got a slash on someone, they died. That's something died with air quotes. Uh, that's something you bet on. I participate. If the death part... I guess, yeah, I guess if it's... If, if, if it's the death part involved, gets removed, <laughs> I volunteer as tribute, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't just like watching sports. I like playing sports. I'll play. I won't, oh, drive, a, I won't drive a Formula <laughs> One car. I'll kill myself. Um, yes. But I will play baseball, cricket, curl. I'll play all the sports too. So count mm. me in on a sport. I'm a sports person and this is a good sports film. It ticks every box that I needed to tick to get me into the sports film. There's a cool concept. I don't I don't agree with all the rules of the sport, but I understand the rules of the sport well enough, even yeah. if I think they're dumb, right? Mm-hmm. There's betting odds. There's a pageant. Like each district is rooting for their person. There's a cult of, like you, yeah, you live in Toronto. It's all a Maple Leafs thing, man. You go through the ups mm-hmm. and downs together, right? You oh, know what I mean? Me. Yeah, like <laughs> there's a lot of downs at the moment, but you're going through it together. You're not jumping off a bandwagon going somewhere else. So you know what I mean? Like no, so like all no, those people no. in District 12 are rooting for the underdog and all the people in district mm. one even though we don't see them are presumably being like yeah we're fucking better than everyone else go kill those 23 people and that ticks a box yeah. i don't want them to kill the 23 people 
I need to keep clarifying this in case I ever run for an elected office and this podcast gets used against me in some kind of TV commercial. I'm not pro the, (laughs) I don't want the children to be killed. But once they are, I'm in on this as a sports film. I, I wish it was a different sport. Once we accept that as a concept, I'm I'm in on the on the betting. All right. Do you what do you make of my <laughs> what do you make of my take that this is a good sports movie? Do you watch a lot of sports movies? I watched a handful of them. Um, they're hit or miss. Some of them are they're either really bad or really good. Yeah. Honestly, and this is gonna sound dumb, but I swear to God, this is true. The one that sticks the most in my mind is Space Jam. With that's, without that's a good a word sports of a movie. Lie. It is a fantastic sports movie and it's heartwarming and it's lovely and it involves a bunch of Looney Tune characters, which I love. Um, obviously not very comparable. Um, I do like sports movies. This one. Maybe that's secretly why you like this movie. You think it's because of the adaptation stuff. You think it's. And really what's happened, Rachel, is this is just a damn good sports film and you're a sucker for a good remember the It's just, yeah, it's Friday Night Lights and that it's secretly the reason but why it works is because it's a good sports Rudy. film. It was just Rudy. But I don't think you get the emotional payoff, though, because, like, yeah, they're athletic. Yeah, they're doing sporty stuff. But, like, Katniss doesn't start the movie as bad at archery. Or no, but like, I think I think fine. I'm just gonna keep going. This is a cool twist on the sports movie. Whereas, or do you think it's the rookie? Like, is Katniss Dennis Quaid? Yeah, like I don't think I. Yeah, sure, <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't I don't I don't derive any emotional happiness of the Hunger Games as a sports movie out of Katniss's initial skill level. She's good okay. at archery at the beginning. I think though that's mitigated by the fact that. In, in a sport, everyone is playing the same thing. Or in the Hunger Games, not mm. everyone is... She's good with a bow, but the other people are good with swords, and the other people are good with other <laughs> things, and Peta's good at throwing a boulder at some sticks. And Just Throwing balls. And, yeah, <laughs> Peta's good at chucking balls around. And, <laughs> and so, like everyone... It turns into like one where everyone is just skilled at their own specific skill set. Mm. And so I don't need to root for the person to get better at their skill. The emotional pleasure of this as a sports movie is that this game is rigged to be unwinnable and they fucking win at the end. It's an underdog story all the way through. And every and because this is a good sports film, they know that every good sports film is an underdog story. Right? When I watch mm-hmm. The Mighty Ducks, the Icelandic team can eat shit because the Mighty Ducks are the underdog story and they're who I'm rooting for. <laughs> Katniss and Peta from District 12 get fucked around with the rule change. They got the poison berries and they win against the capital. People have won the Hunger Games. No one has won the Hunger Games. There is no real winner of the Hunger Games. That's the whole point. Mm. There's a winner to give people hope, but that person doesn't actually win. They end up like drunk like Hamish, you know? Mm -hmm. And so these are the first two people to really win the Hunger Games. We're going to get the consequences of that in the second book and movie. Mm-hmm. But they really showed him up. They do the the games maker gets gets got by those berries at the end. Yeah. Right. And I so love, I love that addition. I think that's such a smart addition to the movie because they don't show him die. You just assume he dies in the books. You don't know. 
Yeah, and then in the That's next it. one we get Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oof. Man, so R.I.P. to my dude, but he's fucking great. He killed it in this one. Just that ambivalent kind of playful, but still, you know, there's something sneaky about him. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely watching number two. I don't know if we'll podcast about it unless this one does well. I suspect we make a lot of emails <laughs> being like, out of all the good, like Shawshank Redemption, Citizen Kane, <laughs> literally anything by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I feel like that's, that, that's what's going to happen, but that's okay. Yeah. All right. I've picked the last couple of tangents. I do still want to talk about the Barry shit at the end a little bit more, but mm-hmm. where where do you want to go next? I see we have, we still have like a good forty five minutes before we got to wrap it up. So still, yeah, there's still cruising. a way to go. Um, hmm. Okay, I really want to talk about Caesar. I feel like I've touched on it a few times. First Stanley, of all, Stanley, Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci is untouchable. In can I this can role. I tangent real quick about Stanley Tucci? So sure. I was like, I was not. Um, and I still don't have as good of a filmography background as a lot of people who are super, I really love movies. I'm just not as mm-hmm. caught up on them as a lot of people. And I haven't seen as many mm-hmm. of the, the big ones as you'd expect. Um, so mm-hmm. I never, I was not familiar with Stanley Tucci. This is the first time I'd seen him. And if the first time you see Stanley Tucci in this movie, you're going to be like, this guy's amazing. He absolutely nails it. Right. When I, I kid you not, when I find out after the wig, when I found out he was bald, when I saw him for the first time and he was bald, I was like, oh my goodness, what like, what a feat of hair and makeup. I had, I had it full, I believed for sure that the, I knew that was a wig, but I believed mm-hmm. that it would have been like a wig modeled on his like actual hair that was done. Uh, it was so well done. Because if mm-hmm. you had asked me to bet a million dollars, like is Stanley Tucci bald under that wig? I said, absolutely not. It took me so off guard. That's how good that wig is that I couldn't imagine him as having anything other than mm. that haircut. Sorry, that's my random Stanley Tucci. And now, yeah. now I've seen him on CNN going around wineries in Italy. Yeah. He's on CNN. He's just, so lovely. He's, he's on CNN drinking wine for a living. What a, what a, what you a, what a do that. I'm right here, CNN. But, um, yeah, my actual my first experience with Stanley Tucci was uh, in the Devil Wears Prada. Okay, so I was well aware. I've seen him in that. I've seen bald. the Devil's Wear Prada since the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, since. I think so. I just googled it while you were talking because I wanted to make sure I had it right. It came out in two thousand six. So I was fourteen. You were eleven. Right. Um. So I, I did was not watch Devil watch Wears that. Prada until after <laughs> the Hunger Games. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, I just remember being absolutely in love with how he chose to embody Caesar. But just the use of the character in the movie, I think, was really, really effective. Because in the books, he interviews him at the start, and then he interviews him at the end. And then Katniss kind of allows you to understand that he does commentate the games, but you don't hear it. And you don't see it, because you're, you're in the arena with Katniss. I think the decision to have Caesar be the vehicle for exposition was extremely smart. Um, It gives his character a little more dimension. It makes him seem a little more nefarious because he's kind of like, ha ha, tracker jackers. That could really fuck up some kids. And you're like, oh, Jesus, why? But then you have that information. I was pretty and into just, the I was pretty into the bees pretty much like injecting it with LSD until you die. That was cool. Yeah. 
Sorry, that back, was, to, back yeah. to Stanley Tucci. No, that was that was really all I had to say on it. I just think it was a really well, like you get Stanley Tucci for a minor role, you make that role bigger. Like this, and he fills that really entire creepy. void. Like he is, yeah, exceptional. He's, he's gonna steal whatever scene you put him in, even though you know you're supposed to hate him. When he's like, oh, Katniss, aren't you so sad that you took your sister's place? Your sister was going to die. And you're like, oh, my God, Stanley, I love you. What's interesting about his performance is not only is it, like, perfectly over the top. Like, there, there is a way that it's so over the top that it takes you out of it. But he's perfectly mm-hmm. believable as, like, a propagandist newscaster. Who's, yes. who, who's like, really the face of the emotion. Like, he sets the tone. Mm-hmm. He's super happy and ecstatic and vibrant and he's just exuding personality so everyone else responds to that so you get the big crowds and the cheering and the pageant and he's kind of setting the energy tone if you Mm -hmm. told me that stanley like that this character actually doesn't like any of this secretly hates the hunger games and is only doing this because he's going to get murked by president snow if he doesn't i'd also believe you like he plays Mm -hmm. the character with just enough depth that i'm unlike with elizabeth banks I believe that she is in on the Hunger Games and like, mm-hmm. and just as complete Stanley Tucci though, I get the sense that he yeah. knows how fucked up the whole thing is. And he's not actually that into it, but he's kind of playing the part. I don't know. I felt like there was layers to this performance yeah. too, separate from the bombast of it. If I got a behind yeah. the scenes of like what Stanley Tucci's character believes, and you told me he was either full on committed or he actually hated the whole thing and was pretending anywhere on that spectrum, I believe you. Yeah, and I think that's probably the power of the performance. I think my understanding was that he was just, like, full in on the propaganda. He's, like, in the bourgeois of the capital society and he wants it to stay that way. Um, But, yeah, just the power of the performance is that if you said, like, that one way he twists his eyebrow or the one way he overlaps, it's just, like, him trying to signal he's playing it up to be a character, to be the thing he needs to be to not get offed by snow. Yeah, I, I, believe, be really I believe well. that story. I believe that story that he actually hates the Hunger Games. He wants nothing to do with it. Mm. And he's just the only person that he can do this job. And he's just been threatened by Barry death or something. <laughs> or death by weird dogs or whatever. Yeah, drug bees. We think the drug... <laughs> okay, so what, what are all the ways that we... This is a tangent, but let's pick our. If we're gonna die in the Hunger Games, out of the all the Hunger ways Games. we, out of all the ways we saw in the movie, oh, what what are we picking? So we got like the general swords stabbing you in various places until you're dead. We got some neck snapping. Yeah. Did we get? We got an almost drowning. We got yeah. fire. I guess we didn't. No one died. We got like random forest fire. We got the mm-hmm. dogs. We got the berries. What I else? think berries. You're you know in berry. on berries. I think the problem is Bear- you didn't berries see the effect. Are... If they're berries, like... So in Game of Thrones, there's, like, two different types of poison. There's the one that uh. Jamie gives Olena that's nice and peaceful. And you just kind yeah. of fall asleep and die. And then there's the one Joffrey gets, which is a very different one. If the berries <laughs> are, like, type A, it's definitely the berries. I if, think... If the berries yeah, are, like, think... type B. Because we just see her body. We don't see her get killed by the berries. Yeah. Well, like, Kat- Katniss is like, it's night like Peter, you'd be dead in a minute! And she, fucking like, Peter. slaps the... It's fucking Peter. <laughs> I don't um, know about Nightlock? What are you doing? 
God damn it. You make it too much fucking oh, bread, so, man. Separate tangent. How does Katniss know about Nightlock? Is she like an expert on poisons? She's, yeah, no, she's a gatherer, which is why they show her hunting at the start of the Oh, movie. okay. So Nightlock is a district yeah. thing. Okay. It was a plant. That checks out. Thing. That checks out. I just never thought yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a, if you don't really put much stock into her just like hunting a deer at the start. But yeah. In any case, berries are next snap. I'm not dying by disembowelment. Don't hit me with that. Don't hit me with mutated dogs. I don't yeah, I'm out on the dogs. Either. I think the dogs is easily the That's worst terrible. one. Terrible. The dogs are the worst one. I think the I think the tracker jacker one, I just I don't know what level of LSD this is. Because I think it it's might be bad, initially a little trip. I think it might be initially pretty painful. But I think I think if with like that amount of bees. It seems like within mm. 10 or 15 seconds, she's real quiet. I think it gets you pretty quick. Yeah. I'll go with, mm, I don't know. I don't know, but like the bees are an unknown. So are the berries. We just saw the dead body. You're putting a lot of faith in the fact that these berries are more peaceful than they are violent. And berries are next snap. Next snap's pretty quick. Yeah, maybe the next snap is the most reliable. If also, too, if it's thresh, from... if it's thresh, I'm in. Because I know yeah, I, he'll yeah. get it clean. If it's if it's someone else and I'm not sure that you know what I mean? Yeah, no, okay. like I'm not letting Peter snap my right, neck. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> he can throw a boulder, but can he snap a neck? If it's thrash, I'm gonna pick the neck. Otherwise, yeah. I think I might pick mm. That's bold yeah, choice. If, if I'm putting my faith between the bees or the berries, and both of them are an unknown. I did I did physically hear someone scream when the bees came and were stinging. Mm-hmm. I didn't see. I didn't physically see the berries go that wrong. Mm. I'm gonna pick. The, I think I'm gonna go. I think we're in agreement. Berries are next snap. Okay. Yeah. That was a fun. <laughs> that, was a a, bit. that was a fun tangent. All right. Yeah. So, no. I. I think dying via tracker jacker would be wild. Not worse than the dogs what though. Terrible way to die. No dogs. Dogs are the worst. I would put the sure. dogs up there with like getting torn apart by zombies in The Walking Dead. Yeah, I'm not, I put those. I'm out on the dogs. On a level, no. Pretty out on the was, fire. Forest fire is not my thing. No, don't burn me, dog. I'm not a witch. No. <laughs> but if you are a witch, burn ahead. This I'd be in Hogwarts if I were a witch, and you witch could get me. Podcast, according to Rachel. <laughs> no, but if I were a witch, witch I'd be so... in Hogwarts. Okay. You couldn't catch me, anyways. Okay. Um, how, how do I pivot to this eloquently? Okay, there is something I want to get to, but I can't pivot to it off the more of a death talk. Uh, let's get to the end of the let's get to the end of the Hunger Games. So I think mm. my analysis of most of the actual games is like they're really well done, but they're the biggest gap in my notes. There's a lot of like people run around and people kill other people, and the game makers create weird situations. And then there's the riot when Rue dies, which I thought was a great mm-hmm. little bit of world building. Yes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But mostly, I'm just kind of in the Hunger Games, and it's just really well done, but nothing is specifically surprising. The biggest mm-hmm. kind of surprise is the Nightlock berry swap at the mm. end, kind of Katniss coming around to either loving or liking or pretending to love Peter, or wherever she is on that spectrum, she comes around to it, and mm. the capital changes the rules back, and they're like, fuck mm. this, we're going to eat the berries, and we're going to die together. No winner. No winner. Mm-hmm. Which is this? Is that like, is that really the worst case scenario for the capital? Maybe. Is. is that yeah. that embarrassing? 
Like, mm-hmm. can the capital not propaganda spin this out like these fucking idiots? Like, we set up, like, I think you can spin this to be holier than that. I think you can spin this to be like, what on earth? Like, we set this up where at least one of you could win. And if you both chose it, that's your own dumb fault. Mm. I think there is a way to, I think the capital's got a propaganda machine. I don't think it's as, like, the guy panicky coming back. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, the The turn was very impressive i was like out of my bed just rooting i was like fuck yeah that's the yeah you tell him um Mm -hmm. what did you make about the the barry uno reverse card at the end because i was genuinely again this is a great sports movie i was Mm -hmm. genuinely like i had fully invested and i was paid off at the end yeah i think in terms of storytelling very well done very satisfying also katniss's idea like a good little arc for her to now be in on the strategy and she's like oh this is a show and they want the show and this will fucking piss them off and then also but it's also like her she she needs to beat them at the game and she's and so she knows the game the the end result the desired end results have one winner and the only way that she can beat them at that is to give them no winners right so the only way she sees out for her is to do that because she also doesn't want to sacrifice her kind of moral code and kill Peta. so i i love the way that it turns out i think like it makes sense like for katniss as a strategist and for Peta as a romantic can i get a story off my chest about this moment in the book Sure. Okay. Floor's yours. When, when I was in grade 11 in high school, I wrote an essay comparing the Hunger Games to 1984. Okay. Um, talking about... The interesting comparison. I can see the yeah. I can see the threads, but they're not, like, directly adaptable. They're not... They don't perfectly line Why? up. Um, but I talked about kind of the similarities between Katniss and Peeta, and I think it... I think it's Julian George. I think it's George. Yeah, so I talk about the. I'm gonna, look, I'm gonna look it up. You keep riffing. Please look it up. I'm gonna be really upset if that's wrong. Uh, but, George, George Orwell wrote the book, so maybe that's what we're thinking. Yeah, about. no, I don't think that's right. Um, but yeah, so I was comparing the oh, two. It's Winston Smith. Winston. Fuck, we're dumb. So Winston and Julia, and and Katniss and Peta, and. I was comparing the growth of their relationship and how it was affected by the control of the government. And I straight up knew that my English teacher wouldn't read The Hunger Games because she just didn't care. So I lied and I said that Katniss turning around and pointing her arrow at PETA when they announced the change in the rules was the end of the book. Oh. <laughs> so right, I was that, like, I can, and... I can see the comparison more closely now that you've faked an ending. <laughs> and I, didn't, I didn't mention that Katniss ends up, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I just panicked. Would you like to die together? Uh... And that has been bothering me for uh, 15 years. <laughs> I lied do about you... the ending of the Hunger Game and I got an A on that essay. Ask somebody, hold up. I now have some questions about you as a person that I need to... Sure. So, as somebody who is now a lawyer, Mm -hmm. uh, a job with a a high level of ethics and professionalism involved, Mm -hmm. and as somebody whose first thought 
in the Titanic notes when the ruby gets thrown overboard is the insurance fraud. Does it does it disappoint you that you cheated on this test by creating a fictional ending to a story to make your essay better? Does does because current you is current you thinking, man, savvy move. I did what I needed to do, or is current you being like, that was slightly unethical? Because I think it's great. Do what you got to do to get that mark. It's not plagi- it, it's not plagiarism. You're just making shit up. But I'm pro making shit up. If it were higher stakes than a high school essay, I wouldn't like it. Okay. But it's playing the game in high school. I still did all that work and wrote that whole essay and told a whole You're narrative. Totally right. It's not plagiarism. I'm sure the essay and was really good. It's just more teachers- from a principal standpoint you know that you created a fictional ending to a book i gave her like a month's notice that i was gonna write it on this book instead of a different book and she didn't bother to read it it's only i really want this alternate timeline where your teacher did read the book and gave you a zero and was like you made up the ending i would have loved that but the thing is she still does point her arrow at penis i'm like it still happens it wasn't technically false i just didn't say the rest no, of i mean yeah i did all this kind of <laughs> shit in high school i am i am pro doing what you got to do i'm i'm not uh, pro outright like cheating and copying and i'm certainly not pro plagiarizing but i'm pro mm. i'm pro taking advantage of your teachers uh in insufficiencies and lack of literary or like oh, yeah, the, no. if you're if you're cued in enough to school to take advantage of the literary gaps in your teacher's reading habits <laughs> then you're in enough to to make that play <laughs> That has been on that has been on my chest for fifteen years. Right. But we both agree chest. that the ending fucking rules. Oh, the ending fucking slaps. Okay. It slaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it slaps. All right, that's good. Okay. Um I just I do want to revisit this because we do need to give mm-hmm. it the proper air time. Uh Rue is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Again, this movie needs to be ten or fifteen minutes longer so I can get another scene or two with Rue. It's kind of mm-hmm. like we get to training, we get to tracker jackers, we get to her dying. I just need a fourth thing, I think. Yeah. I laughed, not at the death, but I did laugh out loud when they did the we'll see you for dinner line. I was like, oh, you're fucking dead. Like, if I didn't you know you go. were dead, the like, oh, we'll we'll go on a date when you get back from the war, hon. It's like, you're dead. There's no, oh, no. Game of Thrones, like, uh, I'll tell you about your mother when we meet again. It's like, one of you's fucking yeah, dead. Right. He's not finding out oh, about okay. his mom. Right, and so Both like of them died. Spoilers. Right, Just one of them came back. Right, <laughs> such an unnecessary spoiler. <laughs> wow, fuck you if you haven't seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay, anyways, anyways, um, oh my god, that was so unnecessary. I don't even care if you if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, <laughs> it's been out for a while. It's been a while. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to say about Rue that she did get the death note line that I'll see you for dinner. Um, mm-hmm. But I just, I just want to be on the record. I appreciate Rue as a character. The actress did a fantastic job. Um, it didn't, I've watched a lot of emotional shit recently, just as I prepared for like the Oscar podcasts and just accidentally the books I've read have been really sad, but that's not on purpose. And mm-hmm. so just compared to all the other sad shit that I've been consuming recently, like after sun, I was crying for like the entire end of that movie. And like 10 minutes mm-hmm. after this didn't have the same emotional like impact for me. Like we just don't spend enough time with Rue, but it's still mm-hmm. very emotionally affecting. The reason for her death is, is very character driven for Katniss, but it doesn't feel that way. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they do a really good job disguising that Rue is just a victim of the games because her death mm-hmm. serves a narrative function. Is it is it opens Katniss up to caring about a per? You know what I mean? Like yeah, like it unlocks something within Katniss, right? Mm-hmm. But usually it's really over the head. They do a really good job of just like the scene is very quick. It's very violent. It's very like just instant death. Like spear gets thrown, arrow gets shot. Right. And that, that mm-hmm. feels very, that felt very real to me. And then she's just dead. And the yeah. other dude with the arrows just dead. And I, I appreciated all that. It didn't pack quite the emotional punch that I think it would have when I watched it the first time. But I think that's only yeah. because I've been exposed to more things that are intentionally trying to make me cry as an adult. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, very well done with the Rue sequence, which could have easily gone wrong for many reasons. And while I think there's mm-hmm. room to explore Rue a bit more, um, with the time they had, I felt like they gave enough time to root to, to nail the, to land the plane on like the one death we're meant to really feel. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I, I think I have this in my notes. I might talk about it later, but I think Rue is, is probably more important to the story at this point than Prim is. Oh yeah. Sorry. Because I, like I don't, Prim, I don't Prim a is a catalyst, but Rue is a symbol. Yeah. No, I don't give a shit about so, Prim in this movie. Oh shit. But, I, I feel um, bad when she's pulled, but as soon as Katniss volunteers, bye Prim. We're fine. we're in on Katniss now. I don't. I'll worry about Prim. She she Prim plays a pretty big role later, and I appreciate her a lot more later. Yeah, I'll in, worry in, about in, her later. Book, for now, she's fine. For now, it's like like within the movie verse, like yeah. the second Prim's off the screen, then they say goodbye. Like Prim, like her mm-hmm. function is done. We're in on Rue, kind of taking mm-hmm. that part now. Yeah, and I also. Yeah, I think you're right. I've probably been exposed to too many movies that make me cry because I remember sobbing the first time I watched this scene. Oh, you're a teenager. Then, the hormones uh, are going through. There's it's, it's, so many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can kind of breeze through it now. I think the thing that I always appreciate appreciate about this scene, rewatching it, is that the 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 revolt scene isn't in the books. That's another movie edition. It's so good. So, and it sets up just... so it's good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the one thing where I don't want any more. I want to be interested. Like, ah, we got a little yeah. bit of the revolt. We saw a little bit of it, but the guards came in, squashed it pretty quick. It's very violent. You know what I mean? But not it's, too much. Cause now yeah. I'm interested for the next movie where surely this is going to pop off. Just enough to know that something is happening. But right. You don't and know like what. the three fingers thing. Oh, that was great yeah. too. So fucking good. That was great. Yeah. It's so, yeah. So I, and Rue's actress as well. I can't remember her name. I got the cast pulled up. I want to say it's Amanda, but I know that's wrong. All right. Where is Rue? Amanda Stenberg. Oh, good shit. Oh, let's go. It is Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, Yeah. no, he was was great. Okay, yeah, shout out to Lenny Kravitz as Cinna. He's fantastic. Uh, I thought he was fantastic in the movie. I also thought Amanda as Rue was wonderful in the movie. Obviously a difficult role to play when you're that young. But I see, here's the thing, like, Josh Hutcherson and Jennifer Lawrence both have these, like, these emotionless scenes where they're not really Mm -hmm. meant to be showing a lot of emotion. And I don't know if they perfectly nail them. We talked about that a little bit with Jennifer Lawrence, but Rue has that whole thing where she's just like sitting up in the ropes at the top and just looking down mm-hmm. on everyone else. And she nails that like s- small micro smile that she's enjoying watching everyone fight over everything. But you can tell she's mm-hmm. still a little bit scared. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think mm-hmm. she nails that. She's great. She's 
she does. No, her her entire character in the film is excellent. And I think if I were actually like sitting and watching and like staring at the movie as it happened instead of trying to work from home while I was rewatching it today, I would probably cry at the rude death scene. It is very sad and very well done. I was as primed as I was gonna be because I'd had quite a few drinks, which it only enhances, <laughs> only enhances my crying. And yeah. it didn't quite get me, but that didn't take away from it either. I just think more time with Rue would have been helpful, okay. but not mad with what we I, got. I have a potential controversial thought, and this really only occurred to me on rewatching today. I have sympathy for Cato right at the end. I do too. That's, I don't know if that's controversial. I felt really bad for him. Oh, maybe I just hated him with like the like a burning passion for 15 years. No, I feel I never... bad because I feel bad for everybody because these kids are all failed by the system. Like, even the most asshole, mm -hmm. like Cato has that moment of doubt at the end. Like, I, I, I really believe that. Oh. But like every kid is so failed by the system that I can't help but feel bad for them. Because even if you're you should there, like, there should not exist a world where this is a thing yeah. where you are born and kind of raised to think that your goal in life is to volunteer for the hunger games and fucking win that's mm -hmm. so fucked up that i feel bad for anyone who's doing that and lives in that system regardless of whether they're actually an asshole or not because they're failed by the system it's like na nature mm -hmm. versus nurture like they are failed by mm -hmm. the nature so hard in this yeah. that like but yeah kato has that moment at the end i can't remember exactly what he says but he and he's like really struggling because he he kind of like he gets a lot out in that like 30 seconds where it's like you can tell he wants to kill them and win you can tell his heart's yeah. not really in it. You can tell he kind of either kills them or he dies. And then he goes like, maybe I meant to die. And then, and then he goes and try to get, I, I bought into that struggle. I felt bad for Kato at the end. Yeah. I think, I think I just villainized him in my head for so long that I just had never really bothered to think about it. But it's the part where he's like, I'm probably going to die. And he's holding on to PETA and he says, but I can still do this. And by this, it sounds like he means win. And then he holds tighter on to Peta, and he says, but I can still do this. And he grabs more on to Peta, and it goes from him saying, I can still win the game, to I can still take him from you. And then he, and then he kind of has right, this... Like he knows he's about to get shot with his arrow, and there's no avoiding yeah. it. But he can't yeah, think... And so very quickly, his world becomes very, very small. And then he kind of shouts out at the heavens, like, is this what you wanted? Is this what you wanted from me? Because it was never going to be me. And that, I don't think it ever really clicked in for me how dark that was. I do want to say, though, and I, I hate to kind of memify your great point here. No, meme it, meme it. But this mo this motherfucker had two chances to throw them right off into the dogs and pulled them onto the safety platform. They were turned backwards facing the dogs. And instead of just pushing them into the dogs and winning, he brought them backwards onto the cornucopia. That's his own fault. He could have won. Mm. Like, he is his own. If you rewatch that scene, it's really obvious. Like, he uh, could have just pushed them from behind into the dogs. Wait. And he pulls them backwards. And that was dumb as hell. And he could have won. And he chose not to because he's... His strategy was bad. 
You're gonna, so are you actually rewatching it right now? I have the Netflix tab open. Don't touch me. No, it's all good. But yeah, yeah. Like the way it works is like Peta and and uh, Katniss get lifted up onto the thing. They lift each other up, and they're both facing yeah. forwards into the dogs. And he pulls them backwards instead of just pushing them forwards like an idiot. Okay, I have it playing on the side now. So when that happens, okay, she's getting dragged up. All right, here we go. Okay, they're looking at the dogs. No, he pushes her down. But not into the dogs. I guess. But not into the dogs. You are right. He could See? have very easily put. Yeah. Oh wow, that's a flub. That's a big flub. Big <laughs> L for my guy Kato. Um, <laughs> this also okay. This didn't take away from it for me. But while we're talking about flubs, that idiot who could like like okay, this is a problem in all media, and when it works, mm -hmm. it crackles. Like, uh, give me, okay. give me the Joker. Most people who play the Joker do a really good job with this kind of thing. Can we mm -hmm. stop doing unnecessary villain monologues? What the fuck is that girl with the knife at Katniss's throat doing? Why? Like, what? there's no relationship. This, You're not even the villain. Like, don't... You just got murked by Thresh for no reason. And it's possible <sighs> that Thresh always kills you. Right? Right? But, like, what are you monologuing to Katniss for? You have no problem killing these people. You've trained your whole life to kill these people. Just kill Katniss. Unnecessary yeah. villain monologue is unnecessary. But also, <laughs> how did... Okay, I just have more, like, little things. How on earth did yeah. Thresh know that that Katniss helped Rue at all? Is there, like, a... Like, I think it, he literally just overhears. That's why she monologues, is to say, we killed your little friend from District no. 11. Whatever, and sure. Like, you killed Rue? You um, want to die? Um, she but she die. didn't even do that. Someone, an unrelated person. Did. Yeah, so unnecessary I, villain it, monologue is unnecessary. I also, this is the, I want to get into, we're going to, we're two hours and 10 minutes. We are going to have okay. to get in, into the questions and awards. And yes. I'm also going to need to take a bathroom break in between. But yes. the last thing I want to talk about before we head over there is okay. I, do you find it believable mm -hmm. that five or six people are teaming up in the Hunger Games? I find it yes. believable that they pretend. I don't find it at all believable that you could at all trust any of these people or that one of them just isn't like, they're all sleeping together in a circle. Also, mm -hmm. what is Peter? Like you, everyone there has knives and weapons. Like there's no reason for one of them not to get up and just shank the other five. These are your direct competitors. Only mm -hmm. one person is getting out. You are, this group of people is all the group of people that have trained to win this their whole lives. The first mm -hmm. people they should be killing are the hardest people to kill. And yet they all decide to mutually not kill each other. This is where, again, I just need the movie to be a little longer. I need that scene where they discuss the plan. Is it like, okay, we're the best five. We're going to get together at the end. And we're going to make it to the end. And then at the end, we'll all run in five different directions. And then it's fair game, free for all. Right? Mm -hmm. I assume that's what the plan is. But we don't actually yes. get that. And so to me, yeah. it like, makes no sense why any of these five best people aren't killing the other four <laughs> best people yeah. at any of the opportunities they have. Yeah, I think it's just, they talk a little bit about alliances, and I think it's just that the careers stick together, they're the most likely to survive the But, but to what end? So. Because then you're only guaranteeing that the people at the very end are the hardest to kill. Surely you want to kill the hardest people maybe at the beginning. Maybe like an honorable rock, paper, scissors. Like maybe right <laughs> at the end. You're right, just okay. like... There's a game of Monopoly. Oh. The Monopoly shows yeah. up in the cornucopia, and then, yeah, then it takes just, off. Exactly. Okay, yeah. I have... I have one more thing. All right, go for and it. It's real dumb. Okay. 
Uh, I really like how at the end of the movie, President Snow gets his, like, slow walk away from the camera scene to be like, oh, I'm going to be more important in the sequel. And it's literally, it's just reminding me of Twilight. At the end of Twilight, when Victoria is watching Edward and Bella dance, and then she walks down the stairs angry in her prom dress. It's like, it's it's exactly the same. And if you didn't make that connection, I'm really sorry to have drawn that for you. And now you have to live with it, too. That's all. <laughs> so we have condemned our viewers yes. to flashing back to Twilight every time they watch the ending of The Hunger Games. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't give a shit. I <laughs> whatever. I watch. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. Then we'll be back with our questions and our awards. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back with the rapid fire questions section of the podcast, which for at least Rachel and I are not very rapid fire, and there are too many questions. <laughs> but we'll, we'll do our best to get through them. First question: Is there a point in picking names before asking for volunteers? Like, what the fuck is happening? Was my note. I found it a little bit silly and a little bit reductive to the whole point of the reaping if people can just volunteer, right? And I understand that in District 12, the volunteer doesn't happen a lot because they say Katniss is the first one ever. But it, it to me, it is reductive to the idea that it's like a, it takes away from the random sacrifice aspect of it. Because now, yeah. I don't know, it just seemed weird to me that they're they, they allow volunteers. I accept it, but it seems strange and antithetical to the point of the entire thing. Yeah, so I think volunteering, rapid fire answer, volunteering is the only thing that happens in like really districts one and two uh, for the careers, the ones that want to go into the games. Uh, yeah, virtually unheard of. For right, but that's lower, what I'm saying. Just, just, just allowing it. people to volunteer and want to go into the games. Does that take away from the... Because then it, now it's a desirable thing. Like it's not, it's no, it's no longer a sacrifice. You're not punishing anyone. If they like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Because because the kid still goes in, and the kid still has like a, a really high chance of dying. I, I think, but there has to be a mechanic in the story for Katniss to replace Prim. So I forgive it for that. Right. I also think it takes away from the hope aspect. Like, who has hope if the careers are always going in? And exactly. not winning all the time, but if there's four careers every time, they're winning a high percentage. Most of the time. Like where does yeah. this hope generate from if that's your goal? Anyways, the vo that seemed weird to me just on a rewatch that volunteers mm -hmm. uh, can be a thing at all. All right. <laughs> I don't know how to say this elegantly, but this is what I wrote. <laughs> this is okay. This is what uh, somewhere between tipsy and drunk me wrote last night. Well, I never paused to take the notes, so I, I just took it as the movie was happening. Is it worse or better? I don't know what I mean by that. But is it worse or better that all the capital folk look like adult Oompa Loompas, like they belong in a Tim Burton film? Now, I realize the Oompa Loompas look nothing like the people in a Tim Burton film. But it's the same idea. Did, did they, are they too caricatured? Are they too... I don't know what the word is. Is it too extravagant? Is it too indulgent? Excessive. It's yeah. excessive. Does it take you out of it a little bit? It took me out a little bit. Or I was like, this is too much. If you had given me Stanley Tucci looking... Stanley Tucci actually looks, I think, perfect. Like like a real person yeah. that's using his wealth and fame or whatever to be a little creative with his blue haircut. Because it's meant mm -hmm. to show off the excess. Like These people yeah. have so much excess. They got pets. They got weird hair. They got cool outfits. I just think it was a little too much. It's a, it's a little cartoonish. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think I like the aesthetics because it's basically like it's indulgence to the point of absurdity. Like you have so much money and so much time. You're bored of being regular beautiful. What are you going to do? Like turn yourself into a tiger? Like it's it's absurd. And I think that's the point they're trying to get across. I think they get it, they get it across. It comes across. Uh, my, I think my argument is that maybe too much. No, you just it's just. I think, yeah, because it's it's for that younger audience, I think they really hammer it home. Now I get it without all the bells and whistles, but it's it's a little a lot. All right. My hard-hitting question. This is the one I struggled with most. <laughs> and I think this would be a fun like segment to do every movie podcast is like, would this be a better TV show? Mm. I, this movie's amazing. And I don't want to take anything away from the movie. If you were adapting The Hunger Games in 2023, Game of Thrones really set the tone for big budget, long mm. adaptations of novel material, right? Mm -hmm. And since Game of Thrones, a lot of novel adaptations have gone the way of TV shows and smartly, mostly limited series. I just watched Normal People, mm. 12 mm. half hour episodes of so six hours. Normal People is a very small book that only covers two yeah. characters. You could do it in a movie and yet the six hours was perfect mm. for that. And The Hunger Games is a bigger book than normal people. I think the movie kills it. I think, could this be, maybe not a TV show, maybe not a full 10 or 12 episodes. Could mm. this be a Chernobyl-style miniseries, six hours, two movie lengths? And mm. would it be better? Could it be? Yes. Obviously, The Hunger Games is a book could be done well in a miniseries format. That's maybe that's yeah. not my question. Would it be better than the movie if you did a well done six hours miniseries? I, I think that's hard to say because I also one of the great literary loves of my life, his his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman got made into an HBO series and it was beyond my wildest dreams fantastic. Um in that book I, I read I read the first book. Not all of them, I mean, but I remember that being like similar size to The Hunger Games. Have, it's not a small book, and there's a cool polar bear in it. I remember that. Yorick and Yorick uh, and Pantalaimon is sick. Pantalaimon is that a yeah. that's the you have to read all three, and that's a conversation that we will have okay. after this. I remember Pantalaimon. Pantalaimon is best, uh, but I I honestly think the movie format suits this better because I think the pacing is really important and if you get that like week between episodes um in releasing this you don't get this sense of like rolling growing impending dread yeah if, if there's I, I think, but, but what if i don't add the restriction that has to be week to week what if i allow it to be binge like netflix like stranger things or you could do it. You could do like the release is the least important part. You could release it week after week. You could do six episodes in one go. You could Stranger Things it and do a part one of the first three. Like get in like the end of the first part is getting into the games. And then the second part is the games. Mm. I think the world might be a little too straightforward for yeah. a whole. So you're in on the movie. Series. Yeah, no, because I think if you have six hours, you have to fill six hours with something. And do you choose to do, 
like, if you have an hour, do you do 45 minutes of every episode of Katniss running around the forest and then Hamish being like, hey. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the view that this would be a better miniseries. Although I do want to mm-hmm. say that this movie is fantastic and probably mm-hmm. about as good as you could do. Mm-hmm. I think though, you have to adapt it like they've adapted The Last of Us so far, which is they don't have enough material for 10 episodes. They did two full episodes of shit that we didn't think we'd care about. If you had said, give me a Bill and Frank episode, I would have said, fuck you. I don't want that. I don't want it. Going into the season, if they had told me there's a Bill and Frank episode, I don't want it. It is one of the best episodes of television I've ever watched, separate from The Last of Us. And it so exquisitely fits in. And so much of what makes The Last of Us great is they're adapting the material and adding to it. So I think Mm. if it's in the right hands, like imagine, here's my pitch for an episode on the training. Imagine a training episode where there's actual training happening, where they train multiple skills, but between there's three training sessions, according to the thing I pulled up to find the time of the 15 minutes, right? There's three full day training sessions, right? You can give me all the gossip. You can build these relationships between more characters. So like when Mm. Thresh kills that girl, Maybe, maybe instead of having that happen because of Rue in that moment, maybe they built up a rivalry at the thing. You can have the careers training together and coming up with their plan to band together. I think you can have them going back each night in the training episode and like Hamish and what's your face, Elizabeth Banks, like, yeah. like kind of hyping them up or tearing them down. They can watch the day-to-day TV coverage. I think you can really build hype. And like, that's my pitch for a training episode is I think you can build these relationships yeah. more so that... By the time they happen in the games, it's not just Katniss and Peeta that have a relationship. There's other people that have relationships. You can do the sponsor bit that we're talking about, right? Mm. You can have a whole thing where you can see all the sponsors getting together. You can have the games maker. You can like do behind the scenes with the games maker. Like how, yeah. how does he come up with this idea for the games? How does he think about what's like, instead of just saying, oh, you're good with the bow, that's going in the cornucopia. Have the games yeah. maker going like, they're good with the bow. We got to get some rocks for Peter to throw. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I'm going to pitch this as a six episode TV or TV miniseries. Okay. All right. I'm not. I'm, I'm sold that it could be a good series. It could also be terrible. Anything, if, I, I, if I made it, it'd be terrible. But assuming if, competent people were I making it, it, it would be terrible. Assuming an I equal level of competence in either format, I think this would be a better mm. TV series. All else mm. being equal. I think there's enough there. I'll play Devil's Advocate. Okay. I think better movie. All right. How would, okay, next question. How would we do in the Hunger Games? And what would our strategies be? Oh, bad. bad What's your main strat, though? You got to have something. What's the one? I'm a stealth main. Stealth (laughs) main? Like PETA, PETA somehow painting his face perfectly to match the log when he can't see his own face and he's bleeding out and shit. More like fox face. More like, um, just please don't look at me. Don't notice me. I hope all of you do your own thing until I'm the only one left. So you're the person who plays Fortnite and just hops zone to zone and doesn't kill anyone until they have to kill the last person at the end. And even then, even then, you're kind of hoping they'll just like fall in, fall in, like die out, die out of zone. Right. Yeah. Die out of zone. (laughs) (laughs) So that's your main strat. Yeah, I like obviously I've never been put in a situation where I have to murder someone. <laughs> um, but even if I was like to imagine that I wouldn't want to. Um yeah, stealth main. I played Skyrim, stealth main. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. 
Uh, I'm going to go with, I would also do very bad. However, <laughs> however, assuming this is truly random, like there'd be other people, I think if as a random sample of the population, I'm like a fairly fit in the prime years of my life person who's played lots of sports and has some like reasonable yeah. skills in that regard, not any specific thing, but I'm pretty mm -hmm. coordinated. I've got good balance. You know what I mean? Like I have like the base yeah. level to like pick a few things up. So I think what mm -hmm. would really do me in is that I'd only have a week to train. If you gave me mm -hmm. six months, I could really put together a skill set that I think don't think I would win, but I certainly wouldn't be the worst person just because mm -hmm. of my age and general kind of previous athletic endeavors in life. Mm -hmm. But I think if you just pulled me and put me in the games, I would like to think I would take the strat of running and hiding and figuring it out. I think there's a part of me that would really just go, look, I'd rather just either win or get it over with and rush the cornucopia. Mm. Like if I'm going to die and I know I'm going to die. I don't think I have, sur I think my best chance is not in the survival skills, which is weird because I do a lot of that for work. Mm -hmm. Right. But I don't think I'm winning on survival skills. I think I got to go for the cornucopia and take my 90, 10 shot, 90% chance that I just get killed there. 10% chance I get a cool weapon because what's once you get the cool weapon and if you make it back out of the cornucopia now you're doing the survival stuff with some resources. Yeah, with stuff, and if yeah. you get if between my work background and my kind of sporting background, if you gave me resources and put me in a survival situation, I win for yeah. sure. I can so if you gave me like a survival kit and sent me out in the woods, I could live for as long as I needed to with the resources I had. I'm really crafty with that stuff. I do it for work. So mm -hmm. I think I'd be okay there. But I think I think I'd be undone by the fact that I couldn't train a specific skill. Like being good with a yeah. sword or being good with a bow and arrow. I do archery a lot for work. I'd be okay with a bow and arrow. So yeah, I can I can like hit a I can bait. swim really okay. well. I don't know. If you mm. gave me the second books a lot of it depends yeah. on the terrain too. Like the one they show you in the movie yeah. with like the ruins, I'm fucked in a desert situation. Like I'm dead. If you give me a water situation where swimming's involved, okay. <laughs> All yeah. right. Now I'm in my skill set. I can swim. It's something I can do very, mm. very well. So mm. I I think, yeah, I think it depends on the terrain too. I think there's a world in which I do okay, but I think mostly I'm dead. Oh, for sure I'm dead. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think if I put this question in subconsciously to pump myself up a little bit, but I don't know. <laughs> no, we, we probably die. I don't know. We don't have the killer instinct, but that's fine. We're funny sometimes. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, we already covered this too much shaky cam. A little bit. I think we said a little bit too much shaky cam. A little bit too much, right. but not overly. I appreciated it in most instances of shaky cam. Your questions, I haven't read them till right now, are very funny. All right, you, you take it away. Okay, yeah, these were real rapid-fire questions. First one, why is Gail so weird? I hate Gail. Gail sucks. The actress, Liam Hemsworth, sucks. I, the the, the pre-bit with Gail sucks. When they cut back to Gail, when her and Peter were kissing, I was actively angry. I was like, fuck yeah. you guys, fuck off. We're in the middle of the Hunger Games. I actually think it was a bad edit for the movie. And they only did it because they knew they were getting a second one where Gail has to be mad and jealous, right? Yeah. But within just this film, it really took me out of what was, I thought, a great character moment. I fucking hated it. Gail sucks. Bye, Gail. Yeah, no, I, I didn't like I hope he it. gets selected in the next movie and dies. 
Do you not remember what happens? No, I do, Gale? but I hope that when I okay. watch the second movie that I don't remember it correctly. Just fingers crossed. Gale gets yeah. picked, and he's the first one dead. It's kind of a dick. Okay, second question. And this is kind of... There's no right answer to this. Why isn't everyone giving Hamish more booze? He's hilarious. I... My answer to this, I don't think you can. I think he's taking the maximum amount he can on his own. Just, I think you give him a liver problem if you do that. No, but they capitalize medicine. He'll be fine. It's okay. All right, so you're advocating uh, for a more alcoholic hamage. I mean, he's got a lot of trauma. He does. I'm, I'm supportive. I, I don't mind. Uh, he is hilarious. And the second question, follow-up question, why isn't everyone giving Katniss any booze because she is so uptight this is a good point and i suspect i agree with you if i was in the hunger games i would be drunk the entire this is maybe why i lose too is i couldn't help but drink all the fancy <laughs> alcohol but i, I think Hung over on the morning uh, yeah, yeah i think it's probably to do with the athletic training part of it like if you're if you're actually trying to get these people ready to win the games i don't think alcohol That's is a real, real part of that process sad Okay, next question. And we kind of already covered this. Why didn't PETA kill the careers in their sleep? It's kind of a dumb dumb question because the movie shows that... I need this explanation. It shows them all sleeping together. It shows PETA there. PETA should have killed them. I I have a problem with PETA not killing them. Uh, I have a bigger problem with them not killing each other, though. Because they... Mm. Like, I already went over this. They know that all the other people that could reasonably fight them are just sleep like I don't know. I don't know why they don't all wake up at the same time with the same intent to all kill each other. Yeah. Yeah. Peter should have killed them. That was rude. Should have. He had to play. Okay. Maybe one... maybe he doesn't want to murder me. I I imagine like going from never murdering a person to just shanking four people back because you have to kill them real quick, like neck 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 yeah. neck, like before one can get up and. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I I, I think quiet. I can I can believe that Peter did the calculation. Like the chances of me killing all four of them before one of them comes and kills me. It's too high. I don't believe it of the other careers, though. Yeah. They should have been. Mm. Okay, next one. And maybe this is just me misremembering the scene, but why was Rue screaming in the trap when she got caught? I feel like if she had just stayed quiet and done the bird signal, Katniss would have found her, and it wouldn't have given away her location. Yeah. Unless I'm misremembering and the guy saw her already. You're not not misremembering. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, a 12 year old panicking. Panic. 12 year old panicking. Knows Katniss is coming back to the area. Like that's, that's the thing. Like she knows she's coming back and her, she's going to die in that trap too. Although in a couple of days. Imagine winning. Okay, hold up. Imagine the extra thing where it's like (laughs) you're in the trap and you're stuck there and like dehydration, what takes three or four days? And so, yeah. like, hey, yeah, everyone else just dies in those three days. You're the winner. Sick. Yeah, I, that's a good point. I, yeah, bad move. But, I mean, you, can't, admit, you oh. can't expect everyone to make rational decisions in the Hunger Games. Yeah, plus she's a plot device, so she never really had any. Plus she's a plot device. That's the real reason, but whatever. We'll see. Um, and we already covered this. Why didn't we see more Haymitch bartering scenes? I love that. The movie should have been 10 minutes longer. It's more of a complaint than a question. Um, okay, this one is an actual complaint and a question at the same time. Why didn't the game makers insert some other type of hazard to stop them from eating the nightlock? They have shown that they can 3D print ducks. I actually think I have an answer for this. Okay. 
it happened so suddenly. I don't think it occurred to anyone that two people would yeah. take. I think that they really genuinely thought they'd reverse the rule and one of them would have to kill the other. I don't think it ever occurred to them that it would cross their mind to both die. I think there's okay. that kind of out there and oblivious. I think they're so in their own shit with the Hunger Games that they don't wow. believe that these two people are going to kill themselves. And then they don't have time to react. Like when that guy comes on to like say the rule has been revoked and they are the winners or whatever, he's panicking. He ran to that microphone. I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. Ah, you both win, you both win. Ah! And so like, I think I believe it that like generate, but also like, what do you generate that only kills one of them? They're standing right next to each other. If you generate dogs, can you really call off the dogs in between the death of one and not the other? If you generate like a, like a I just think whatever you generate has just as likely to, kill both of them hmm. unless you can gen yeah i don't know i i think it's just time yeah. not enough time they didn't think it would happen it came on suddenly they had literally 10 seconds to figure out a plan and the plan was like they could both win i don't know yeah okay i accept that this next question is the dumbest of all my questions but i'm not sorry what color do you think is caesar's actual hair uh, br brunette or, or you think bald he's brunette? or bald yeah he's not blonde no, I think he's like Friar Bald. You know, oh, like yeah, the Friar so. okay, yeah. yeah, with like the, the top of his head is bald, but he's got the ring. But I would imagine that he's maybe it's just white. Maybe he's just old. And he's got white Friar Tuck hair. But yeah, I, that's something that I wonder because he's supposed to wear different colored wigs every time and I'm supposed to see it actual hair. So... I'm going to go like, with like... Two glasses of wine deep. That's what I'm thinking about. All right. Awards time. <laughs> Best performance. Look, I'm going to throw a curveball. With Titanic, we had... You really could only pick Leo or Kate. And mm -hmm. it kind of comes down to that. And I picked Kate. In this movie, you think the choice is between J-Lo and... and J-Lo and Jennifer <laughs> Lopez. It kind of works. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson, in which case you have a real easy pick. Um, but yep. I'm actually, I think he's in the movie enough. I'm going to go with Stanley Tucci. I think he's given the easiest material, or mm. at least not the easiest material, the material that best suits giving an amazing performance. And I think Stanley Tucci, that performance is as good as it could possibly be. And if mm. anyone else does it, is actively worse, I think. Yeah. And so I wouldn't normally give this to a supporting character, but... I'm picking Stanley Tucci as the best performance in The Hunger Games. No, I think for the first time in a while, across like all of the conversations we've had, I am fully in agreement with you. Stanley yeah. Tucci steals this movie. Every scene that he's in, I am glued to him. I love him in this role. Um, and I think it helps that like all the extra stuff that he got... Yeah, you get a bit more character, but he also, he's your guide to the world. So you just like... Oh, yeah, he's like, got a lot of the exposition, which is the boring yeah. shit. He's got all the boring shit to do, and he and kills it. And he makes it. you love it. He's so good. Like he, why he, he makes me write in my notes multiple times, like, am I not caring about the child murder anymore? Because Sally He just hypes so it up so that. much, and this is a great sports movie, so... Like, there's, he sets there's the so tone. He's the tone setter. There's one scene I remember, and it might not be from this movie, but it's certainly from one of the interview scenes where someone tells a joke and his jaw drops like several inches to have like this 
whole mouth, hearty belly laugh, but his eyes don't change. Nice. There you go. And it's and it's like moments like that where it's just like, oh, it's it's uh it's it's a flawless performance as Caesar Flickerman. And I love it. And I also just want to give a quick shout out to Elizabeth Banks, who I thought was a lovely Effie in this movie. Yeah, I think- not not quite in the movie enough, I don't think. Because I think it has to be a real role or else you could. Oh, there's always a supporting character in every movie that gets a couple of lines and they just got to nail it. And yeah. I, I think Stanley Tucci is in it enough that he can be getting mm-hmm. an award. Whereas I think Woody yeah. Harrelson. Or, that's another question. If I include mm-hmm. everyone in the movie. And don't, mm-hmm. and just on the performance, am I also putting Elizabeth Banks and Woody Harrelson in front of Jennifer Lawrence? Because the, yeah. the way I structure right now is Stanley Tucci is in the movie enough to beat out Jennifer Lawrence and has enough to do and has like a real role, right? Whereas Jennifer Lawrence is easy second and then it's like, there's no one mm-hmm. else to pick until you get to all the other supporting characters. But as long as, if we're, if we're just including just, just the performance, regardless of the time, the material, whether you had one line or not, I mean, it might maybe it goes Stanley Tucci, Elizabeth Banks, Woody Harrelson, then Jennifer Lawrence. Donald Sutherland. Yeah, because yeah, my- he's not in the movie. Yeah, okay. I, I, mm. Yeah, I have this in my notes actually. I really think that the veteran actors really carried this first movie. Like, I even included Lenny Kravitz, even though he's not. He's not um, than Jennifer Lawrence in this movie. He's, he's good. He I, don't know. I think he brings to Cinna the appropriate weight and right. i think his performance he, is incredible in any event then, i'm not putting him above jennifer lawrence but, but there, there yeah. is a criteria there is a criteria level where i'm putting a few of these performances before jennifer lawrence yeah so but i i really truly do think that the veteran actors carry this movie um obviously jennifer lawrence and josh hutcherson do great work with what they were given obviously i enjoy their performances but i think in terms of who steals my attention every time they're on the screen and makes me look back it's stanley tucci it's uh woody harrelson it's elizabeth banks it's donald sutherland it's yeah the first three specifically donald donald sutherland and lenny kravitz are kind of playing real people Hamish is to a degree, but but Hamish, but Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks and Stanley Tucci have the additional thing is like their characters are over the top and they can't like Mm -hmm. make a mockery of them. So they have to play this over the top character that fits the world, Mm -hmm. but doesn't feel like too much there. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, full, like I give the credit to, to, Jennifer Lawrence and and Josh Hutcherson. I'm giving it to Jennifer Lawrence more than Josh Hutcherson. More probably like quite yeah. a bit, but yeah, she had a much harder job and I and did think... it better. I, yeah. I don't want to leave this. I don't want a single email. A I, the whole time we're talking about this, better. I'm aware that there's a way to view my comments and like Jennifer Lawrence is the woman and Eli. This not it at all. I picked Kate Winslet in the Titanic over Leo. I promise <laughs> you objectively i just don't think her performance is it's an a but i think stanley tucci's an a plus i think yeah, josh hutcherson's no. in the c's somewhere and i think i think liam's hemworth is like whatever's under f Whatever, zero yeah. negatives just swimming right <laughs> it's too far i just want to be clear that no she did a fabulous job i think but you know, she just 
both she and Josh, I think, just suffer from being young and relatively inexperienced. Whereas, you know, you've been in a couple movies, you know the vibe. And surely this was a fun movie for those three to be in. It's your fun yeah. movie. Just like relax, let loose, show people what you got. Yeah. So again, yeah, it's an A plus A scenario. But all right, favorite in any scenes. Case, I agree with you. Favorite, favorite scenes. scenes. I volunteer as tribute is mine. It's incredible. Mm. It sets up the world so perfectly. It's one of the only scenes where I feel the true weight of the whole thing. Again, once we get into the betting and the sports movie aspect, I do kind of get lost in the sports movie and forget how horrific the child murder is in some parts. You know what I mean? Whereas mm. like you can get lost in the pageantry and all that stuff. Whereas this is the first time before you're allowed to get lost in everything where mm. it just truly is horrific and every beat of that works and the volunteering works and everything from the way like Prim walks up to the way Elizabeth Banks says, uh, hey, this would be like for the honor of competing. And so for the honor of like fucking getting marked by a like, what the fuck are you talking? You know mm. what I mean? Everything about that yeah. sequence works perfectly for me. Jennifer Lawrence is best part of the movie, too. Um, and when it's the favorite scene, I don't always want to pick the scene where it's just like the best scene for the person who I think is the best actor. Sometimes yeah. they're different. And I think in this one, they overlap. Well, I think this whole sequence is my favorite scene. And just within that sequence, mm. uh, Jennifer Lawrence also is incredible. And so, yeah. It, it is the iconic scene. I use the I volunteer as tribute gif at work a lot. Fair. fair. Take, take on extra work. <laughs> Well, no, it's just like, oh, there's one more donut in the ba- in the break room. Like, I volunteer. No tribute. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it's a great scene, and I think it translated from uh, page to film very well. Um, uh, I guess my my favorite scene is similar. I guess in in essence, my favorite scene is the whole secret sequence from when Katniss finds Rue in the trap to after Rue's death when she walks away from the little grave that she's made. It's, I like it because for me, it's the first time since Katniss goes into the games that we see her kind of revert back to that older sister that would want to protect someone. And she does. And I like that in the movie, it's expanded a bit upon and we get to see that this is actually the seeds of the revolution. How ultimately really significant just this one small moment of humanity was to the society as a whole. Also, I cried like a baby the first time I watched it. Um, Yeah, I, I just thought it was a really lovely scene. and. Obviously, Rue kind of acts as a stand-in for Prim in the game, so I think we both have similar favorite scenes. All right. Your question, you added this, your last Mm -hmm. award. Who are you picking to be your partner Mm -hmm. in the Hunger Games? This is, I had a hard time. I got thrown off. You threw this into the last minute, so I didn't have a lot of time to think. But (laughs) if this is my six-episode miniseries and I get more time Mm -hmm. with all the people, I can make a better choice. But I got to pick the things that I know for a fact. So I'm going to pick Thresh. I know for a fact that if I'm Thresh's partner, he's got my back and he will insta-snap the neck of anyone who crosses me. He's someone I think I can be willing to die for. 
I think if the games play out and I die, I know he's going to do his best to win, not only for himself, but to avenge me. And yeah. so I can still have that ego trip and death that I'm seeking in the Hunger Games. He'll remember me as the person. He won't let the capital take my personality away or whatever Pete is worried about. <laughs> right? And so yeah. I think with, with all I know of the characters, I know for a fact Thresh is a certified killer. He and I can uh, put our skill sets together to be very useful. He can be all the muscle. I can be all the survival skills. That's easily the mm. thing I'm best at, providing I have the equipment, which is why I got to mm. run into the cornucopia. But mm. I think we can mesh really well as a team. And I wish I knew more about the other people so I can make an informed choice. But I'm not picking Rue. I'm not picking Peta. <laughs> Who else wouldn't you pick? I'm not that picking Kato. That you put in all capitals in the notes. <laughs> what did I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, the person I... I the, instead of answering Rachel's question, I'm an asshole. And she said, who would you want to be your partner? And I immediately put, not the guy who was guarding the apples. <laughs> that, not that guy. I'm not picking him either. Oh, that I just want to do a quick shout out because we didn't mention it. The slow-mo on the apples is fucking dumb. Sorry. Yeah. No, what? no need for the slow-mo on the apples. <gasps> Random slow-mos bother me. Your your movie either has slow-mo in it or it doesn't have slow-mo in it. And if it only has it one time, I can tell that someone just like told you, shit, we can slow this down. It'll look cool. Same with like the shaky cam. It kind of feels like a shaky cam just appeared on set and they were like, we're going to use this for everything. It was kind of like mm. someone discovered how slow-mo works in the editing room. And they were like, shit, where can we put this? And they're like, the apples. I don't know. I'm out on the I'm out on the slow mo. All right, who are you I, who are you picking to be in the Hunger Games of the Year? Okay, I, we are. I don't I don't even know her. who this is. I want to be perfectly real. Okay. I can't even attach a face to this person. Okay, we ripped on her for monologuing. Oh fuck no, no Rachel! Are you no. taking book knowledge into this, or is this just a movie pick? This is just a movie pick. What? I okay. <laughs> okay. So. If you can get her alliance, then, you know, she's impressionable. You control that. Like, her Kato's anger is her anger. She's mad because Kato's mad. Right. If she's your partner, she's thinking what you're thinking. You're relying a lot on yourself to be, like, the alpha of the team and shape her mindset. But also, if she dies, she dies. Like, you want someone that you're not emotionally attached to, so when they die, you can but, win and not feel bad about it. No, but it's more strategic. No than survivor's that guilt for Rachel. Rachel wants to win the Hunger Games. No, that's that's not, something that we deal with later. And survivor's not have guilt, survivor guilt about her partner being dead. She's no, gonna so, get covered in glory in her district, and her partner's gonna be dead because <laughs> she was impressionable. So I'm sorry. So being what an I actually, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's it's definitely a bad pick. But my thinking is, if you can temper the murderous rage, and you can just get her to focus on the fact that she is quiet, she's sneaky. She has a monologue! <laughs> she's not quiet! She was so loud that Thresh cottoned onto the Rue thing and but, killed but her. if you temper the murderous rage, you can tell her not to do that. Okay, so and you're okay. You're relying up. on like okay. We have to go in like okay. Step one: we're gonna skip day one of training, and we're just gonna therapy. go over the rules. No therapy on day <laughs> one, and no monologuing. No monologuing. We'll watch The Incredibles. Is what we'll do. We'll see, <laughs> okay. see that guy getting sucked into the plane. <laughs> so we're not Fair gonna enough. do. Um, but she's got range with the knives. 
She has hand-to-hand combat. She's clearly physically strong. And if I already said that I'm going stealth main, like that's my guy. I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to fill out the squad, really. I find this I feel like these questions inherently like a battle of picks where it's like I have to defend for some reason I feel like this is a competition. And <laughs> no, I, Thresh was good though. And I know we're gonna you, get you emails like though. deciding who made a better <laughs> pick. So I'm trying to like make my case. I think I think you and Clove are a little too different in that strat though. I think me and Thresh have mm-hmm. have opposite but complement have opposite but complementary <laughs> skills. We are gonna get into both survival scenarios and combat scenarios. And I don't think either of us are particularly bad at either one, but one of us is a clear favorite in the other. So we complement each other, but we can work as a team of two. If you're a mm-hmm. stealth main and her best skills are hand-to-hand knife combat, when are you doing those two things together? Like, no, she also has range. Like she can throw knives. Right, but if she but if she's stealthing with you, she's not knifing people. And if she's knifing people, no, you're not if she's on the other side of the clearing and I'm on one side of the clearing Sorry. and she's like Pachoo! and she throws a knife and I'm behind the other guy and I'm like I need someone to tell me if I'm insane I think I don't no, know no. I, it's a terrible idea it's a it's a child murder game okay. I really don't want to be playing <laughs> <laughs> all right I wish I had more people to pick from I ain't going Thresh. You're going to go with Clove. Sorry, we didn't even say her name. I was rude and interrupted Clove. you. Clove is who you've been. Yeah. Do we, do we yeah. know what district Clove is from? Two. She's right, one Clove. of the careers. Gotcha. Clove. I believe that. I believe she is skilled. I just don't know if she's a good yeah. I just know partner. You're only supposed to know a few of the names. Like, there's Marvel and Glimmer from one, Kato and Clove from two. I think, I think the actor who plays Kato is from Vancouver. I remember... I remember oh. I remember Is that another role you auditioned I, for? No, I didn't audition for Kato. I auditioned for the movie. Yeah. And I remember I remember Kato being Is Kato from Vancouver? Sorry, if you're listening to this podcast, I was never in anything cool, but I just am super extroverted and love acting. I love improv. I love all that. I love the theater, any of that kind of stuff. So like I had an agent to do auditions and acted and stuff as a kid, just for fun, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I didn't end up being Paul Mescal, which is disappointing because he's uh, going to the Oscars and he's my age. And I was not in the Hunger Games and I was not in a movie with Selena Gomez that I almost got the part for and I'm still sad about it. So, (laughs) that sucks. Kato, Hunger Games actor. I think he's from Vancouver. I remember this being a big deal at the time. Mm. Kato is played by Alexander Ludwig. Oh, he's he's in all of them Viking shows now, I think. Oh, yeah, he is tall and blonde, that's for sure. Yeah, he's from Vancouver. 30 years old, from Vancouver. Wow. No, no, I, I didn't audition for Kato. Although, a lot of times, though, you don't know who you're auditioning for. I will say that about oh. at least at least acting in Vancouver. Um, most of the time you go in for a part, you don't know what the project is exactly. You just get told, this is a TV series and it's a thriller. Or this is a TV series and it's true mm. crime. Or this is it's draw. you know what I mean? And then the, the the sides you're given, the the lines you have, aren't actually from the show until you're doing like chemistry reads oh. or emotional reads. Like, but usually what they do is they pick something from another show that you're familiar with, so they get the same emotion that you'll need. So if you need to be really funny on a comedic timing, like have good comedic timing, they won't show you their script. And oftentimes they might still be writing it. Like if you're auditioning for Battlestar Galactica, they're writing it as they go. They don't have the script yeah. even to give you. Right. SVU. 
<laughs> right, but Battlestar was uh, filmed in Vancouver, so everyone was oh. in Battlestar. That was the whole thing. <laughs> and so um, you would be given something from another movie or TV show that was of similar comedic type or like mm -hmm. emotionally, like if they needed to get you emotionally somewhere, they'd give you just another emotional scene from like the notebook or something mm -hmm. just to see if you have the range. But you mm -hmm. don't often get the actual thing you're working on until later. Interesting. I'm assuming this changes when you're actually a famous actor who can make choices because you'll need to know what you're working on. But when you're just a pleb actor like me who does it for funsies, your agent just calls and says, yo, I got you a hookup. An audition. You want to for, go? Uh, you audition for, <laughs> let's be, I got you an audition for anything. And you're like, yes, I will do that. Mm -hmm. That's how it normally works. Because you don't like get, but at some point at the end, they'll give you the script and be like, oh, you need yeah. to either chemistry read with this person or act out, like audition the actual material to make sure that mm -hmm. you can do the actual thing we need you to do. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good cool. audition stories. This is a tangent. Um, Andrew Scott in <laughs> Sherlock is one of my favorite audition stories where he goes in with like the... Have you watched Sherlock? Oh, yeah. Where yeah, he goes yeah. in with the pool scene. That's it's his like last audition scene where it's like, that's what people mm -hmm. do. But he makes mm -hmm. the choice to scream the people do part. And it's not in yeah. the script at all. And he just like improvs that in there. And it's so good. Because he, he's not the first person you'd look at and think of as Moriarty. No. But just what he brings. So at some point before the end, you need to give people the real material because then you get someone like Andrew Scott who's on your mm -hmm. shortlist, right? But now he can, yeah. now not yeah. only is he good in the role, he brings something to it separate from what you've written. Like he elevates it from the page to the mm -hmm. screen kind of thing. So at some point you do get the real thing. I have a bunch mm -hmm. of people who are actually actors in my emails are going <laughs> to kill me right now. When was the last time I auditioned for something? I was in Riverdale season two. That's filmed near me. Was that the football season? No, I was in the gym at a serpent school. It was filmed at like a local high school. You were a hoodlum. I was a hoodlum <laughs> in the serpent's high school. And season two of Riverdale wow. was the last time. So what, I would have been 24? It was only a couple of years ago. That was fun. I didn't wow. get my own IMDb page. I was pissed. Apparently extras. <laughs> I was like, I want one. <laughs> I want one credit as extra four hundred in the gym. Uh, yeah, Riverdale. The serpent. It was so like, fun too, because just because of work and um, it was more of a hobby for me too. So like, I'll go for things mm -hmm. if my agent calls, but they very rarely do, <laughs> right? And I'm also like not super interested anymore. Like I just got other things yeah. going on. So, um, but it was so funny because we hadn't talked in months and months and months and months, and my agent just called. And they just get paid on it. My, at least the way mine worked. She's really great, but she just works on kind of like a, like a car accident lawyer. Like you just get a commission, right? And so, um, car accident lawyer. Can I help you? Are you a car accident lawyer? I don't know what kind of lawyer you are. <laughs> okay, you're getting. Do you? This is like sorry. If you're listening to this and you're here for the Hunger Games, you're learning a lot about the two of us right now. Are you on? Are you on a commission? Like you get paid a percent no, of what you get. Oh, I'm, no. on, I'm on the other side. Nah, car accident lawyers in BC, they're taking the commission. Ugh. We don't get paid until you do. Makes it makes it easy accessible. Makes it more accessible. It makes you think of, I think it's the states was like hurt in a car, cobbling in a tar. Please cut that. I don't want to add advertising. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is brought to you by car accident lawyers. If you're in ever, general, if you're ever in a car accident, don't go it alone. Get a lawyer, specifically Rachel. Stop! <laughs> she 
she she will work for commission and she does not get paid until you do. I'm not your lawyer. Right. I'm legally obligated to say that. Okay. Am I putting you in legal? This is fun. I'm just getting you. No, in no. Now that I've said I'm not your lawyer, I'm all clear. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> None of what Rachel has said on this podcast or in any future podcast is indicative of any legal advice. Thank you. Is that a good? Okay, perfect. Yeah, Let's wrap this up. We had fun with the <laughs> Hunger Games. This was a good movie. This podcast is three hours long. Fuck yeah. Rachel, thank okay. you for hopping on the pod again. Of course. I appreciate it. Next time, I don't know what we'll do next time. We'll pick a fun movie to do next time. Something silly. For those of you listening, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Send us all your emails. Go rate the podcast somewhere to get more people to listen to it. I don't know. Let us know what movies you want to do. I got a whole cast of characters coming on to do a whole variety of movies. Next one up will be Knives Out. That'll be exciting. Um, so feel free to suggest some films that I could find some people to do some podcast recordings with. I think that's it. That's all. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.